Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT, and joined by my guy Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him at CJ Safdick on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC 270, headlined by a heavyweight title fight between Francis Ngannou, Cyril Gan, not to mention a flyweight title fight in the Coleman event, the third fight between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. I am super psyched. And not only Am I psyched for the card? I am psyched for the fact that me and Cody, we got a little bit of a new home here on the All-Star. Shout out to the guys uh, over there at the All-Star, believing in your boys, believing in this show, and, and really wanting to put it onto their channel. Luckily, we're able to work something out. And here we are, Cody, making some steps with this Prop You Up show, which a lot of people enjoy on a week-to-week basis. So uh, a little bit more backing here with the guys over there at the All-Star. Uh, but man, I haven't talked to you in over a month, a month and a half. <laughs> yeah. like, what have you been up to, dude? Yeah, man, feels like a long time. And then the great thing about the show is we usually get together for the pay-per-view, so it feels a little extra special. And then, yeah, coming in uh, with the big news, the guys from All-Stars jumping on board. It's a good relationship, I think, because they want to get into the MMA betting space. And, you know, especially with props, when we break down so many different angles and so many different perspectives for how to go with the fights, but they're open to play ball, right? They're open to open up props. They're open up to if you want to see something specifically. So as I was joking to you uh, before we started the show, like, it'd be cool if there was a prop book somewhere that was like, will Michelle Pereira do a backflip at some point? Like, will he complete a backflip? Like, it'd be cool to have those kind of props. You see, often see them, you know, in football. You often see them in the big sports. It'd be cool if there could be certain things in MMA, you know? Um, and, and yeah, they're, they're opening to open up those kind of props for us. So yeah, I just uh, think it's a great relationship, and I can't wait to get started. Absolutely, absolutely. They are opening up these things through uh, CloudBet. So shout out to CloudBet, uh, one of the main uh, endorsements of the show here. Um, one of the the props that they're more than likely going to be posting later this evening is whether Davison Figueredo actually makes weight tomorrow at the Wayans as Love well. It. So if that's something Love that you guys want to wager on, you guys are more than welcome to do so. We actually have the link to CloudBet in the description below. Uh, it is a crypto bookie that will match 100% of your first deposit up to five Bitcoin. Uh, they're fast withdrawals, low margins, high limits. Uh, they are one of the best out there in terms of the crypto space. And if I'm not mistaken, they were one of the first ever in the crypto bookie business. So so, uh, very well respected within the community. Make sure you guys check them out. They support the show. We support them as well. Check out the link in the description below. And then lastly, if you're not in the country that allows CloudBet, you guys can check out Bovada as well. Bovada is uh, sponsoring the show here as well. Uh, they have a $250 welcome bonus for anybody that wants to uh, hit up Bovada as well. Link is in the description below. But Cody, we are here to talk props, man. I am so stoked to have a legit UFC pay-per-view card that uh, we get to look forward to this weekend. And then I get to break it down with my buddy, old pal, Cody Safdick. So let's just start off at the bottom of the card because we're pretty familiar with this uh, first uh, matchup here. We got Jasmine Jazdu Vicious, fresh off her contender series victory where she was able to earn the contract to get to the UFC. She's taken on Kay Hansen, who's been out of the cage for close to 14 months now uh, in terms of being active and actually getting in there and scrapping. She was scheduled, I believe, to fight in March of last year, but that fight fell through um, due to you know, circumstances out of her control. I believe she was dealing with a lot at home, pretty much. Let's just put it that way. And now she's uh, uh, stepping back into the cage here. Uh, one of those issues that she was dealing with actually was uh, an eating disorder, apparently. And that wasn't allowing her to really make the weight correctly the way that she did. She was making weight, but she just wasn't doing the doing it the correct way. So I'm interested to see, one, how she looks tomorrow on the scales, and then two, obviously, how she performs inside the cage. But uh, Jasmine, I, I'm quite impressed with her, man. I was kind of surprised that the odds were as wide as they are. 
Uh, Kay Hansen is just uh, one of those fighters that seems to be always loved by the public. She was a big favorite, uh, again, or a decent favorite against Corey McKenna last time around. She was a big favorite against Jin Yu Fry in a fight that you know didn't start off the best for her, but she was able to get the victory in that third round. Uh, but here she is once again coming in as a minus two forty favorite uh, against uh, Kay Hansen, or sorry, against Jasmine Jazz Devicious, and plus one ninety the return here on Jasmine. I am leaning the Jasmine side here, right? She's going to have a five-inch height advantage, a five-inch reach advantage. Uh, she's really starting to fill in to that 125-pound division. Uh, I believe she took a fight at a lower weight class for that title against Elise Reed. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know about you, but I thought that was a very sketchy uh, decision, in my opinion. I thought Jasmine yeah. won round one and three. I agree. Uh, she deserved to get her hand raised, but luckily for her, she still finds her way in the UFC, which is the ultimate goal anyway. Uh, no pun intended there, but uh, I do like the Jasmine side here. I do think that she'll be the cleaner striker here. I think her wrestling game is uh, developing. You know the guys down there at Niagara Top Team. They're surrounded by great wrestlers, uh, national uh, wrestling champions and all that stuff. They got great guys over there for her to really round out this game. And I think that it's going to help her in terms of nullifying Kay Hansen's success, which the majority of that comes in the grappling realm. And then on the feet, I think she's nasty in the clinch. I think she's nasty with the striking. And I think she can uh, pull off the upset to start off the card here. So in terms of a prop, I do like Jasmine here. Uh, Hansen, a little bit difficult to put away, so I'll, I'll give that to her. Uh, I don't think that this is going to be one of those regional Jasmine showings where she just runs through her opponents. By the way, KO prop sitting at plus 900. Uh, the prop that I'm leaning on, though, Jazz Devicious, plus 275 via decision. How are you feeling here? Yeah, I gone the other way with Hanson by decision at plus 105. Honestly, How dare you against the Canadian? How dare I know, you? I know, I know. And I like her, and I love the team. I love Chris Prickett, her boyfriend. And yeah. she's like, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff to love about them. But what I don't love about it is that she comes from, does not come from a wrestling background, doesn't come from a striking background, literally picks up the sport at like age 27 because she's on a blind Tinder date with her friend and meets Chris Prickett. She makes her pro MMA debut at age 30. She's currently making her UFC debut, and she's like a month short of her 33rd birthday. So she's no spring chicken by no, no stretch, and yet she still is green. She would still be considered a prospect in that she's got a long ways to go, and yet at almost 33 years old, this is kind of that refined version of it. I thought she won the Elise Reed as well, fight as well, but you go down to CFFC, you're taking on kind of the local girl, you're in enemy territory, you're the Canadian I get it. Sometimes the split decision doesn't go in your favor, but yeah, it, it, it's that love the knees up the middle, right? Like the wrestling, there's no real top game that comes out of the takedown attempts, but she uses that long rangey frame quite well, but mostly in the clinch for someone who has a five inch reach advantage over all of the opponents. She just doesn't establish the jab particularly well. And so you see that in the Julia Pulaski fight on contender series. Again, she has a massive height and reach advantage over her opponent, but at no point is she able to keep her opponent off of her with a simple jab. She gets backed up. She doesn't move her head. She loves to get into these, you know, drag them out slug fests. I just don't know that it necessarily favors her. Wrestling advantage. Again, she picked up the sport pretty late, and she has competed nationally in the Canadian team, but that's just because Canadian wrestling is trash. I mean, let's be honest here. Not everybody's George Champier. Um, yeah. I, I don't know that I necessarily love – her game's fun. It's exciting. They're fun fights. I just feel like there's a lot of development to go. Kay Hansen, meanwhile, it's almost the polar opposite. She made her UFC debut against Jin Yu Frey. She's 20. She's 20 years old. She's already fought for Invicta. She's already established herself. She's actually one in four as a pro boxer, if you can believe that. But uh, taking five pro boxing match, never got knocked out. It's all experience. She's like one of these young fighters that just has all the skills, gets under the bright lights, beats Jin Frey with a, with, uh, with a good third-round submission. And then look at the Corey McKenna fight. Man, that's two all-star prospects, you know? Corey McKenna had a team alpha male and 
She's originally from Scotland, but currently at Team Alpha Male. Just like a, a young, this girl's the future of the sport kind of fighter, right? And she's taking on a young, this is the future of the sport kind of fighter in Kay Hansen. It's, it's, it, these are good fights. It's like the Macy Barbers and the Miranda Mavericks and the my girl Aaron Blanchfield. Like that, that's what the future looks like. The the Jasmine Jesse Davidiuses of the world are coming in here to, you know, give them cage time, give them some ring time, pose some threats, but I just think Kay Hansen's a little bit more refined everywhere. So the 14-month layoff in many ways does worry me because it's like, oh man, eating disorder, year-long layoff, that's some ring rust. Um, you said she wasn't being active. I disagree. She's being extremely active, pumping out that content on OnlyFans. That it. hustle requires it. work, man. <laughs> it's not easy. Uh, all the same, I, I think the two years is actually, or not the two years, 14 months is good for her. She's coming back. She's still only 22. She's still young, but she's got her body in shape. She's got her mind in shape. She's, the skills are only going to get better from this point out. If the fight stays standing, I think that she does have the better technical boxing. She'll be able to push back Jasmine. I think she's got the better wrestling. She'll be able to take down Jasmine. And if the fight hits the ground, I think she's got better grappling than Jasmine. Uh, it's the first fight on the card. It's women's MMA. It could go either way. I get that. But plus 105 for the Hanson by decision, that's the way I see myself going. Yeah, I'd be surprised if there's a finish in this fight. So maybe taking a decision, no matter which side you're taking on this fight, is probably the best way to go. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. One that should probably pick up the intensity in the arena. If you guys remember, this is actually taking place uh, at, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Crypto.com Arena over there in Los Angeles. Um, is it not the Honda Center anymore? Or sorry, I, I, you might be correct on that. It is the Honda. Yeah, it is the Honda Center. Anaheim. Okay. I was I'm like, geez, sure Crypto.com <laughs> took out the Honda Center? <laughs> like, oh, man. Crypto.com took out the Staples Center. That's what they Yeah, that's what they did, right? that yeah. one makes sense. That one makes yeah. sense. Okay, right. yeah, fair enough. Picking up the intensity in the Honda Center is going to be Matt Frivola going up against Ganeto Valdez, uh, another ultimate, or sorry, uh, Dana White Contender Series uh, veteran there. Uh, minus 200 on Frivola, plus 170 on Valdez. Now, honestly, I really think Frivola blows this guy out of the water, but it's hmm. just so hard hmm. to trust Frivola and that chin. He has three losses on his record. Both of them, the guy got stiffed. Marco Polo Reyes, and then obviously we saw the uh, the quick finish there by Terrence McKinney in his UFC debuts. But if he had a little bit more of a reliable chin, I'd be down to bet this guy maybe even as my lock of the night play at minus 200. I think that's a gift of a line, but it's that durability and that fragility that we need to worry about when it comes to Fervola because I think this guy's better pretty much everywhere. I think he's a better striker. I think he has more power in his hands. I think he's a better wrestler, better grappler, better cardio, all of that. Every person that Fervola has beaten would beat this Valdez guy. You know, Valdez uh, beating up tomato cans on the regional scene, in my opinion. And then we obviously saw that war that he had on the contending <laughs> series against Alaska FC vet mm. Patrick White as a minus 1,100 favorite, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, made it a lot closer than it should have been. But it, And I see some people actually giving him shit, saying, you know, his cardio looks like garbage. You guys go and try to fight in there for two to three minutes, throwing everything at the kitchen sink. At with, your with a concussion. <laughs> With the concussion, <laughs> yeah. huffing and puffing just as much. So I'm not buying into the narrative that he has a bad gas tank. Uh, it's not as bad as it was on the on the contender series, but he could potentially have some. But just if you're taking it strictly from the contender series fight, I think you're doing a disservice to my guy Valdez here. But I like the unders here, man. I like the violence in this spot. No matter who wins this fight, I personally have a play on the under two and a half. That's currently sitting around minus 140 now. Uh, but I do think it's going to be Fervola, uh, the one getting the finish here. And I actually think he gets it done via submission. And that prop is currently sitting around plus 350. Uh, if you 
don't want to be as greedy as I am by taking the sub prop. The inside the distance is currently sitting at plus 150. I don't mind that either. I know my guy, John, who I'm going to be showing his best prop bets later on today as well, uh, loves that spot as well. But yeah, I, I like Favola. I think he steamrolls this guy uh, and gets the finish. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm confident in a certain prop for this fight, but I think, yeah, steamroll. He's got better skill set everywhere. He's the better wrestler. He's got better cardio. He's got more experience. His striking leaves something to be desired, but he's ultra aggressive. He'll be backing Gennaro Valdez up if he needs to. It's the chin. The chin's the issue. Um, you mentioned he's only been knocked out. He's got the two knockout losses. That's not so bad. Been knocked out twice. And they're three years apart, right? Polo Reyes is a banger. Terrence McKinney is clearly a banger. I don't know how much I fault him, but then his chin's no good. Like, you even watch that Lando Venata fight. Like, when he gets grazed, he falls over. So it's even a the fights it's a that he's winning. Sorry. Problem. Even the yeah, fights that right. he's winning, he's getting rocked. The Luis Pena fights, the same thing. Yeah. Like Luis Pena can't, he can't bust a grape unless it's outside of the cage, and then he's busting everybody, apparently. But uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's like you can't trust it. Now, I would think with somebody they know they don't have much punch resistance, you want to get these fights to the ground. You want to wrestle. He knows he can wrestle. Hell, the guy spends a room with Marab Dubashvili and Al Jermaine Sterling and just like a plethora of high-end Matt Sarah BJJ black belts. Like there's a lot of good guys to work with in the grappling department. So use your grappling. Get a hold of Valdez, ground him, throw him to the ground. Because listen, the way he fought on contender series, he's willing to brawl. Now, is Valdez's chin great? No, I don't think so. Patrick White almost had him dead to rights, man. Uh, is his wrestling good? Well, again, he took Patrick White down four times. But he's not taking Frivola down. If he was to take him down, he's not holding him down. His cardio, you're right. I, I actually agree with you. Not as bad as probably people are saying it is, but it's not as good as the steamrollers. He's got cardio for days. In fact, he generally wins fights taking into deeper waters. Here's the one area that we're going to disagree on this one. I think because he knows he's chinny, he's not looking to go out there and just have a crazy fight and finish the guy in under one and a half. I think he's going to take his path of least resistance, which is take the guy down, hold superior top control. If Valdez gasses, well, then, yeah, he'll be able to TKO him or pick up a submission. But Valdez is not swinging wild bombs standing. It's not going to be a hectic pace. It's going to be, a you know, you're getting grounded and there's a guy lying on top of you, smothering you, holding you down, establishing position on you. You know, that, that, that would probably lead to the overs. Again, I don't feel comfortable with this one. But I would say Matt Favola plus 190 by decision. You look at his wins in the UFC. These are his wins, okay? The Luis Pena fight, split decision. The Jalen Turner fight, unanimous decision. A draw with Lando Venata. He has not submitted or finished anybody in his UFC tenure. He has two finishes in the last six years. He's got two finishes in the last six years. He's not really the most potent of finishers. Valdez, meanwhile, is 10-0. It's a ballooned-up 10-0. But it's not like I can say he's chinny. It's not like you can say the guy can't grapple. In fact, when he was fighting for Lux Fight League, his grappling looks pretty good. He established the takedowns on Patrick Williams. The guy's not a fish out of water. I just think he's going to be lying on his back for the majority of the fight, and it'll be a decision win for Frivola. So I think we both like Frivola. We're both going to be clinching our ass cheeks because we know if he gets hit, he's going to get knocked out, and it's just like a, a very scary premise. But you're seeing pure violence. I'm thinking he knows pure violence doesn't end up well for him, so he tries to just grind this one out and get back in the win column. I could see that as well. I will say this, a decent hedge if you are taking the money line on Frivoli here. Valdez by KO, plus 330, plus 450, depending on your bookie. That's probably his path to victory in this fight if he does uh, get the win here. For sure. Valdez is not submitting him, I don't think. And Valdez is not winning a decision. But he could 100%. He could chin-check him. So if you were taking Valdez, yeah, that's a good way to juice it up for sure.
Love it. I love it. All right, let's keep this train moving along. Next up, we got another uh, wins strawweight fight coming up here. Vanessa Demopoulos going up against Savannah Gomez-Juarez. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 140 for Demopoulos, plus 120 the return on Savannah Gomez-Juarez. Now, first and foremost, shout out to my guy, Brandon Olivas in the chat here. If I'm not mistaken, he's actually going to be cornering Demopoulos uh, tomorrow or this weekend. Uh, but I'm going to try to be as sugar Cody as I can about this when I do this breakdown. So plain and simple in terms of how this fight should go down, right? Demopolis, in my opinion, needs to get the takedown in this fight and just establish her jujitsu and establish her wrestling on the feet. Juarez seems to have decent striking, good enough striking, in my opinion, especially with what uh, Demopolis brings to the table in terms of the striking room, at least from what I have seen on tape. Uh, I feel like if this is a 15-minute kickboxing fight, it should favor Juarez. But if Demopolis is able to drag this fight to the ground, uh, we saw it in the Godinez fight. Uh, she did put up a little bit of a, a, a test for, well, not really a test, but some resistance against Godinez. She was able to get back to her feet. She defended a couple of submissions, but the writing was on the wall. Godinez was going to snatch that submission up at a certain point, and that's what she did. That's what Demopolis needs to do here, in my opinion. Uh, so I, I think her getting the takedown and, you know, trying to find a submission, she is kind of crafty on the ground. Uh, plus 450 for Demopolis by uh, submission, not too bad of a look. Obviously, she could use a wrestling to just control her for 15 minutes. So Demopolis via decision currently sitting at plus 150. But I'm actually leaning with the uh, the Juarez head here at plus uh, at plus money. I do think she'll have the better of the striking. I think it'll be difficult for Demopolis to get her on the ground and control her there, and then Demopolis or sorry Juarez should go on to pretty much just outpoint her on the feet. That's the way I'm seeing it going down. Juarez by decision plus two forty. Again, you're talking about a 36, 37 year old uh, fighter as well in in Juarez. So we got to see how much she really has left in the tank to to showcase what she does. But on the regional scene, I didn't mind what I saw from her, man. It, against the competition she was going up against, she did what she needed to do. But this is the type of opponent she needs to uh, beat to establish herself inside the UFC. Because if she can't get past Demopolis in the spot, uh, I think that they send her on her uh, out the door uh, pretty quickly here. So I'll go Juarez. Juarez by decision, plus 240. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, it's a fun fight. It's a fun fight, and it's really a style clash of striker versus grappler. I think we can agree that Juarez is the better striker of the two. She's a little more accurate. She's a little more tight and technical. But Nessa Demopolis, hands a little bit low, defensively not the most sound, but aggressive and always in your face, it comes after you. And her grappling, BJJ black belt, competition black belt as well, someone that likes to keep active, is leaps and rounds better than Juarez. Juarez's tape did look good on the regional scene, right? But what you saw in the Godinez fight is two things. One, takedown defense wasn't there. Two, once the fight, three things really. Once the fight did hit the ground, grappling wasn't really up to snuff. But the third thing is she moved straight back linearly on a straight line right up to the cage and allowed Godinez to get the takedown. The way Vanessa DeMompos fights is hyper-aggressive. Even though she might not be the most technical striker, she makes up for that with that pure aggression. This fight just needs to hit the ground. The problem is similar to a Mackenzie Dern fight, training partner of Vanessa DeMompos, sometimes the wrestling is not quite there to get the fight to the ground. As far as a, as far as a, a fight, the fight's 50-50, right? The odds got it basically 50-50, striker versus grappler. If the fight hits the ground, it's Vanessa DeMompos. If she can't get the fight to the ground, you would think that Juarez has the ever so slight technical advantage striking. But that plus 450 Demopolis by submission is staring me right in the face, man. This is a girl that is very, I mean, I don't know if she's listening right now, man, if she's in the room, but a former <laughs> stripper, very flexible. The way she's able to climb up that pole, she's able to climb up your arm. And once she gets a hold of that arm, you're in trouble. Inverted triangle choke, we saw it on the uh, LFA when she won the title. It's a fourth round inverted triangle choke. 
She can keep going. Good cardio, good pace. The fight just needs to hit the ground. As far as a money line pick, I don't know. Again, could go either way. As far as a one singular prop, plus 450 by submission, this is her wheelhouse. This is yeah. what she does. And Juarez just got smoked out of there in the first round by Lupita Godias. Better wrestler, but not a better grappler. So I, I would say the Demopolis submission is probably the best looking prop of this fight. Shout out to my guy Brandon Olivas saying she calls it stripper guard. So <laughs> we'll see. And I know too, it's massively effective. Okay. <laughs> then hips is probably like a clamping down from an alligator, man. I uh, appreciate Brandon uh, giving us some insight there in terms of what his fighter is going to be looking to do this weekend. But yeah, plus 400 on sub prop. I'm right there with you, my guy, even though I'm picking Juarez to win this fight. I like those odds in this spot, and I think it's pretty live to hit here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got a bantamweight scrap coming up between Tony Gravely and Simon or Simon Oliveira in terms of odds, minus 250 on the ATT product, Tony Gravely, and plus 200 uh, the return here on Simon Oliveira. Now, Tony Gravely has all the ingredients of being a great fighter. Good wrestling, uh, you know, good aggression, good pressure. But sometimes his cardio starts to fall off as the fight starts to go on. He gets a little bit lazy. Desperation takedowns at times. And the last thing you want to do against Mr. Oliveira, who has six guillotine submission victories on his record, is go for a desperation takedown because he's going to be searching for that neck. And I think he could potentially take it home in the spot. Um, I've always been a big Gravely fan, but Simon looks like one of those guys that can put him in trouble the later that this fight goes. Um, I think Gravely, in my opinion, his best path to victory, get this done ASAP. Let's try not to, you know, play around like we did in the Nate Maness fight and get knocked out the way that he did in the second round. It's happened time and time again in Gravely's career. And I feel like Oliveira, although he might have a ballooned regional record, I feel like he could provide some uh, resistance and, and a decent threat here to Tony Gravely. Uh, I'm actually picking him to win this spot, but I do think if he wins, it needs to come inside the distance. Tony Gravely, obviously the much better minute winner in this spot, but Oliveira, uh, nasty with the submissions and, and more often than not is looking for the finish at all times. Oliveira inside the distance is currently sitting at plus 380. Uh, the spot that I actually took a shot on is the under two and a half at plus 114. I thought that was a decent enough number to take a shot there. Gravely can get finishes as well. I know Oliveira's a little bit durable, but now he's taking a massive step up in competition. Uh, so that could, you know, possibly test his durability. Uh, but then obviously on the other side, like I kind of laid out, Gravely starts to fall off as the fight starts to go on. And Simon, I think, will be able to uh, capitalize with either a club and sub or a guillotine off a desperation takedown. That's kind of what I'm hoping for in this spot. Last thing I'll say about it, and I'll swing it on over to you. Um, I did pick Jose Alde in his contender series fight, but man, Alde uh, looked like he came off the couch for that fight. Uh, you know, not in the shape that he normally is. I know he took that fight on short notice, uh, but I still felt he had a, a good enough chops to possibly give Oliveira some trouble. But I was impressed with what I saw from Oliveira that night, put up a decent fight against a legitimate opponent. Now he has to test himself here against Gravely. If he can push it later, I think he could take advantage of the poor gas tank distribution here of uh, Tony Gravely. So round Props probably even come into play here as well. Oliveira round three plus 1,800. Uh, Oliveira round two plus 1,100. If you guys love those round props like I do, I'd take a little bit of a sprinkle on that. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, this is where MMA can be a dark bitch sometimes. You look at the record and it shows that he was knocked out by Nate Maness in his last fight, but they almost screwed him by not giving him the first round knockout in the, after the end of the first. Like Nate oh, Maness is out. The bell rings. He's out. He's like face planted in the ground. His corner has to lift him up. He has no idea where he is. And he has a broken jaw. And they let him continue. And he knocks him out. And so that's the problem with Tony Gravely. 
Because you honestly nailed this breakdown 100%. What does Conan Gravesley not do well, right? His striking mitt. Did I mention he broke Nate Menez's jaw? Like, it's come a long <laughs> way. He's, he throws in combination. He's got tight, fast hands. His wrestling, dude wrestled collegi uh, collegiately for Appalach Appalachian State University. He's currently at American Top Team. He's in the prime of his life. Like, good, fast-twitch, explosive, athletic guy. And we've been rolling with him so far in the UFC for the most part outside of that Brett Johns fight. But all of a sudden, the Brett Johns fight is your first eye-opening. It's like, oh, Brett Johns just goes scramble for scramble. These guys just exchange takedowns for the better part of the two rounds. Gravely gas out, gets finished in the third. Okay, Geraldo de Freitas fight. He actually gets outstruck like 76 to 44. Does nothing with his takedowns. Flat out gasses out. Gets doubled up. Gets hit like 44 times in the third round alone by Geraldo de Freitas. And gets a rightful split decision, but gassed out again. Okay, so what he beats Anthony Burchak? Burchak's 35. He's been around the block three times. He shouldn't be in the UFC at this stage of his career. But he falls in love with his hands. Oh, big knockout. You know, you're chasing bonuses now. So when he fought Nate Maness, he went balls to the walls. And it didn't work out. He compromised his cardio once again. So your assessment of he should go balls to the walls and look for this early finish to get the job done, I'm not 100% sure that that's the approach he takes. He would know he's got limited cardio. He knows he's got a limited gas tank. And where he can get a first-round finish, or at least come close to it, I think you just take the natural wrestling advantage and just ground Oliveira over and over and try to play your guard. Like, he's got good jiu-jitsu. He's got good wrestling. That is a natural path for him. The problem with fighting Oliveira is that, one, if you're relying on this quick finish, well, in three pro losses, he's never been finished. So there's not necessarily a, he's chinny or he's got weak submission defense. Fair enough. The other problem is there's no rhyme or reason with this guy. You saw the Jose Alde fight. He threw 10 spinning back fists. Like, what is going on here? But I think in all that excitement and in those spinning back fists, there's so many opportunities to counter this guy or to shoot under, take his back, take him to the ground. I, I feel like, especially at a gym like an American top team, hey, kid, you need to get back in the win column. You just got chin checked. You have a massive wrestling and grappling advantage over him. Why not utilize it, right? So... I'm kind of Paul Shaughnessy and I spoke about this yesterday. He had the TKO prop plus two twenty five, and that looks good. The decision prop is only plus one forty. Not enough juice on it if you were going to take a gravely by decision based on the way the guy has traditionally fought, right? So I don't know. I think I would lean towards the gravely decision, but it could be a violent fight as well. Yeah, I'm hoping for violence at least here. Uh, under two and a half, whoever wins. I'm on board. I don't care who it is in the spot, but I am going to be leaning on the Oliveira side here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. 170-pound fight between Jack Della Maddalena. A little bit of a mouthful there. It took me a while to finally get that down. Uh, going up against short notice Pete Rodriguez, who comes into the UFC with a 4-0 record, starching all of his four opponents in the first round relatively quickly and relatively easily. But... Cody, me and you have seen this how many times in the past where guys like this come into the UFC streaking on a crazy win streak, just deading dudes in that first round, and then they finally get put up against legitimate competition and they start to falter. And even though Jack Della Maddalena is making his UFC debut in this spot, I think this guy is miles ahead of what Pete Rodriguez brings to the table. Uh, if you even go back and watch some of the amateur fights on Pete Rodriguez's uh, record, not, not the nicest, right? Obviously, he knocks out most of his opponents, but there's an early fight where he just gets grinded out by a guy like 10 years older than him just absolutely handled on the ground and i think that could potentially happen here i will say this that was years ago so he could have made some improvements at that uh by now but i still believe that jack is way ahead of this guy 
the line may be a little bit crazy considering the amount of knockout power that Pete Rodriguez has. But if he's not able to land that uh, touch of death, I think this guy's in for uh, a pretty shitty night. And I think that uh, Jack Della Maddalena should be able to touch this guy up on the feet. I personally think he's going to go to use his wrestling. And I think he's going to go to use his jujitsu, which is why I actually like the Maddalena by submission prop here which is currently sitting at plus 600 i think uh he'll more than likely be using his wrestling advantage here to stay away from that big power of pete and then really start to put it on him so a couple spots i like here i love the under one and a half because i do think that this will be uh either pete gets him out of there quickly or um jack will wear on him a little bit and probably finish by the ending of the first or at least early second round and then the obvious chalk juiced up spot here fight doesn't go to decision i think that's a great uh parlay piece for anybody that has the ability to parlay props i think that's a very solid spot as i don't see these guys going the full 15 minutes not to mention again pete rodriguez taking this on short notice you really think the guy has a gas tank to go a full 15 minutes if he needs to and jack is an absolute beast if he's able to really drag these guys into his type of fight which i think he's going to be able to do here so uh yeah jack is going to be my pick jack by submission plus 600 love that spot uh and then obviously if you want to take the uh Rod Rodriguez side here, Rodriguez by KO plus 400, or Rodriguez in round one is plus 750. Those are your two options if you want to take the quick finisher, Pete Rodriguez. But I think Jack just absolutely handles this guy. How do you feel about this matchup? Jack Delamere is a serious believer out of me, man. Uh, he fought, when I tape studied him before his contender series fight against Angelusa, like, yeah, he looked he looked like a work in progress, but there was no anything real big to his game. His striking looked okay. His chin looked okay. Cardio looked good. Uh, but I couldn't say that I was overly impressed, and he's a minus 125 favorite, so I labeled it a dogger pass. I ended up going with Lusa. Lusa, a sweet uh, a uh, prospect from Switzerland, but currently at Sanford MMA, they're high up on him. He showed up in excellent shape. Jack Della made a believer out of me that night. He absolutely ripped into him, man. Pace, four days. Cardio, four days. And just keeps going, stri striking in just bunches. Stays on you, aggressive, in your face. He'll go punch for punch. Unfortunately, he's landing three for every one you're landing. Again, Lusik showed up in good shape and just got swarmed. Looking at the numbers, too, it's impressive, right? He lands 39 of 75 strikes in the first round, right? By the third round, he lands 37 of 94 strikes thrown in the round three. It's just like he's a steam engine. He's just getting better and better as it goes through. Now, the fight's not going to go in the distance. I really don't think so. But prior to that contender series fight, Jack Della had 11 pro fights. None of them had gone to decision. And, of course, Angelusa takes the beating throughout the course of three. But I can't say I was not impressed with what I saw from him that night. UFC clearly very impressed as well. So they book a guy. Take, he's making his UFC debut, coming off a contender series fight, has no notable real experience, hasn't been any real notable opponents. They book him versus Worley Alves, 13-time UFC veteran, former tough Brazil champion. Guy's got a win over Colby Covington. Guy fought to a decision versus Kamaru Usman as a UFC debut. That's how much they see faith in this guy. Now, Worley Alves pulls out, Pete Rodriguez jumps in. It ain't getting any better, man. <clears throat> Pete's just finished guys so early that he doesn't have that round two, round three experience to draw on. If this fight just becomes a drag amount slugfest, yeah, I don't know that I can comfortably say that he's able to do it. When you look at stuff from the regional scene, and it's only two or three years ago. Dude only turned pro in 2020. This is just a few years ago, these amateur fights. It leaves something to be desired. So I, I do think that at some point Jack Della turns up the pace on him. You mentioned submission. I don't think so. Jack Della's got 10 pro wins. Eight of them are by knockout. He seems to be more of a knockout threat. And I mean, he's just one of these guys that's going to pour volume on you. And so for that reason, Jack Della TKO minus 120. Uh, you know me. I love my decisions. So far, we are rocking a Hanson decision, a Frivola decision, and a Gravely decision. Demopolis submission. Jack Della TKO, baby. I think he's going to finish this thing 
inside the distance with his hands. Uh, not sure if it's under or over one and a half or two and a half because Della just keeps coming. Maybe knocks you out early. Maybe he just beats the piss out of you and takes you out later in the third. Could be either way, but I do think he gets the job done inside the distance at some point. Yeah, one one uh, statistic I actually wanted to bring up for this fight. Uh, I believe it is 22, yeah, 21 out of 26 fights combined amateur and pro for both of these guys have hit the under one and a half. I'm hoping that trend <laughs> yeah. continues uh, for this weekend as well. So uh, you guys are getting roughly around minus one, yeah, minus 145 odds on that to occur right now. Also, I apologize for Alfred losing his crap while Cody's doing his breakdown there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here and i believe this is going to be the what is it one two uh three four fifth uh contender series debutant in the first six fights on ufc 270 here michael morales going up against trevin giles uh he's now sitting at minus 115 and the return on giles is minus 105 he opened up around plus 120 a lot of hype on this Morales kid, and it actually started with Dana White too, right? If you guys remember that episode of the Contender Series, uh, he's saying that this kid has a bright future. He's going to have a ton of potential, and he should be able to go out there and just, you know, have some highlight real type performances. But they're throwing him into the deep end, in my opinion, right away. Trevin Giles, a veteran of the game for a long time now, has fought the best of this division, uh, or even the middle of this division as well. But he's a, a UFC mainstay. I think that this guy's going to be in the UFC for a long time. Uh, and he's been tested in his own right. Uh, so Morales, great striking. Looks like he has that uh, pretty much as his main strength. Uh, apparently, he's a part of the Ecuadorian wrestling team, but you don't really see him uh, use the wrestling too much on his regional tape. Obviously, he pulled it out in his contender series fight uh, a couple times to land a couple of takedowns there. But on the regional scene, it just seems like a lot of these fights were just setup fights, right? Like, he's just fighting these guys. And I remember one of the fights where they're literally trying to hold the cage together as the guys are fighting. And it's just in this random gym. They're holding the cage together. Whenever they would go to a different panel of the cage, a bunch of people run to that side and hold the cage up. I'm like, this does not look safe at all. I don't know who approved these and how these are professional fights, but it is what it is. Uh, he he picked up all those victories on the regional scene and looked much much better than his opponents. But this is his first test, man. And I don't I don't think that a guy this young should be a favorite over a guy like Trevin Giles in his first ever fight. Uh, we need to see him prove him a little bit more. His opponent on the contender series, decent guy, but I think that he had a little bit of that quit in him. I don't know if Trevin Giles has that. He might have a little bit of a cardio issue at times. We've seen him finish a couple of times in the third round, but I feel like if Michael Morales is pushed against a guy that's not intimidated by him, which I think that guy is Giles, I think we'll really see whether uh, Morales is a shit or not. And I'm not sure... He he is. He looks like he has the potential, but this could be a rough start for him here against Trevin Giles. I think Trevin uh, will likely start to let him up with that jab. We know that's kind of uh, his key move is his speed and his ability to land that jab. And not to mention, this will also be his debut down at 170 pounds at welterweight. Uh, somebody put out a video or a picture actually of his progress from like 207 pounds down to 187. I think he was at uh, a week or two before the fight. Let's see what he looks like on the scale, man. The guy looks like he was sucking a lot of weight. I will say this though. He wasn't the biggest middleweight, right? So I don't really mind this jump to welterweight for him. Apparently they've been talking about it for a while as well. So let's see how it pans out for him here, especially against a, a kid like Morales. I I'm leaning on the Giles side, not, not, super confident in it uh the props that i am kind of leaning though are the uh the overs in the spot over two and a half minus 180 if i goes to decision minus 150 giles 
normally durable outside of that Drakus Duplessis fight. You know, Duplessis has some crazy power uh, to to land that knockout the way that he did. I'm not sure if Morales will be able to land that cleanly here on Giles. So I'm going to be going Giles. Giles by decision, which is uh, currently sitting at plus 215. Uh, but I'd rather not pick a side if I'm betting the prop and go with the fight goes to decision at minus 150. How are you feeling here? Yeah, that's what I came on as well. I mean, I got a dogger pass situation here. Trevin Giles opened up as the underdog. I thought, same thing as you're believing, you know. He's got more experience. He's been under the bright lights. He's fought in some decent competition. I don't think that he should be the underdog. It's good value. As far as a prop goes, <clears throat> Giles, kind of more of a decision guy. Could see him winning a decision. It's that Morales has got intangibles. One, Ecuadorian wrestling team. Like, what's up with that? But, yeah, he used it on the Contender Series. He's scoring takedowns. It looked like he had a, a decent idea of what he was doing. But... He's got a 79-inch reach. Like The guy's really long for a dude who's only six feet tall, and I think that almost takes off Giles' jab a little bit off the table. Yeah, it's, he's got better technical boxing, and you should be able to beat him to the punch. Will he beat him to the punch? He's giving up five inches in reach. So there's just things with Morales. He's also training with, not that he's training with Brandon Moreno because there's a bit of a size difference, but you know he's at an Entram gym. He's got good cardio. He just fought to a decision on Contender Series where you thought, you know, he's only 22 years old. He's making improvements. There's some stuff to like there. Giles, meanwhile, yeah, 170 pounds. I mean, was he the biggest middleweight going? No. But keep in mind, this is a guy that debuted in the UFC at 205 pounds against James Bachmanvick. He's got wins over Ike Villanueva, a former heavyweight. He's got wins over Ryan Spann. He's got wins over Roman Delitz, a former heavyweight. He's fought big guys. And here's the problem with him dropping to 170. Not that his frame can't handle it. I think he's better suited for it. Is that he's got bad cardio. He's kind of always had bad cardio. His losses, Gerald Mearshart, Zach Cummings, the James Krause debacle, which was a split decision win. Like, it's because he gasses out. So I don't know that cutting that extra 15 pounds is suddenly just going to be the recipe. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. Our friends offering up the, uh, will Figgy make weight prop? Very interesting. The two other ones I'd be interested in is... Will will is J Trevin Giles going to make 170 pounds for the first time? And of course, what weighing could ever be complete with is Michelle Pereira going to miss weight <laughs> because he's just so big as a welterweight. But yeah, I mean, there's things that you can like about both sides, and it gives you question marks. I, my pick is going to be Giles. I think the fight goes the distance. The Giles by decision looks good. However, where I've been picking certain fighters to win specifically by decision, I did the same thing you did. I took the fight to go to, to decision at minus 150. If Giles handles his business, uses the jab, makes the weight efficiently, I think he wins a decision. If he has a bad weight cut, he does happen to get taken down. Uh, Morales is able to effectively use that five inches of reach. Who knows? Probably still wins a decision. Either way, minus 150 is a good price tag, and I would just take fight goes the distance at that. I apologize. I just realized that my mute button was on. Uh, I was going to say, as the line indicates, uh, it seems as though this is the closest fight on the card. And I absolutely agree with you. This is a great test to see if the veteran and the experience will come through or the young upstart here uh, who's been streaking in his regional scene and if he can actually make a splash here on the big show. All right, let's move on to the next fight. Uh, we got the return of my guy. I've been waiting for this guy to finally uh, get back into the octagon. Howney Barcelos taking on Victor Henry. Uh, obviously, heavy chalk odds here on Barcelos. Minus 510. Uh, plus 375 is the return on Victor Henry. They were originally scheduled, I believe, for late last year, um, <clears throat> if not the last card of last year. 
and Victor Henry stepped in on short notice. Uh, and then I believe one of them tested positive for COVID. They pushed it to last weekend. Uh, that didn't go through. Now they're finally fighting this weekend. Um, Victor Henry, uh, uh, Josh Barnett product, obviously from the CSA gym, has some decent grappling, some decent jujitsu. Uh, his hands are kind of there, but he's a veteran, man. He's been around the game. We have heard this guy's name over and over again if you are really deep into the MMA game. So it's just a matter of time that he was going to make it to the UFC. Glad that he finally did, but god damn. Talk about your UFC debut against the deepest of deep here against uh, a guy in Hani Barcelos who, you know, again, there's been comparisons at times, physically speaking, and even when he fights to prime Jose Aldo with the striking and his Muay Thai and his leg kicks and all that, and it all looks good on paper. It's just unfortunate that he ended up on the losing end in his last fight against Timur Valiev in a fight where it seemed like he just allowed the volume of Valiev and the movement of Valiev to get the better of him. He was a very gun-shy in that first round. He picked it up in the second round. He won the second round, in my opinion. And then in the third round, Valiev was able to get ahead of him once again, uh, just with movement and volume. Unfortunately for Victor Henry, that's not his style of striking, man. I think he's going to be in for a long night here against Barcelos, who should pretty much have the advantage in all aspects of this fight. I think he goes out there and and beats him in the striking. If they grapple and scramble, I think Barcelos is going to be a step ahead of him. My only concern is if he is starting to decline, right? That could be the uh, reason why he lost the value of fight as well. As long as that is not the reason, though, I think he runs through him. That's why he is deserving of that minus 500. A uh, couple prop spots that I was thinking about. I know Henry, uh, very tough to put away, very tough to submit. Uh, Barcelos by submission around plus 350, plus 400, I think is worth a little bit of a, uh, a a stab, as I do believe that this fight will take place on the ground for the majority of the fight. Um, otherwise, it's going to be either submission or it's going to be a decision from here uh, from Barcelos, which is currently plus 165. So uh, I'm going Barcelos, like him as a part of the piece. Don't mind that minus 500 line because I think he smokes Victor Henry in the spot. Whether it's a submission or decision, not sure. But I'm leaning decision more than submission. How do you feel about this one? I mean, Victor Henry's never been finished. He's 34 years old. He's fought uh, a gamut of high-level opponents, and he trains at Josh Barnett's CSA gym. So, uh, CSW gym, sorry. Catches catch can wrestling. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think he's durable enough that he'll be able to survive. So, Rowney Barcelos is a 5-1 to favorite. He's better, got better technical boxing. The guy's a seven-time member of the Brazilian national wrestling team. He's got the wrestling advantage. High-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's basically got the advantage everywhere. Whatever he wants the fight to take place, he'll be able to take it, and he'll be able to have a lot of success there. Just kind of makes questionable decisions sometimes. That's my only knock on him. I'm the biggest Rowney Barcelos not hugger going. I absolutely love this guy. But his fight with Saeed Nurmagomedov, he, it's 1-1 going into the third. He's got a natural wrestling advantage. Why are you standing in front of this guy? Why are you allowing him to do his little razzle-dazzle spinning back kicks? Like, why are you playing his game? And then he ends up catching a kick, falls on top of him, and that's the end of the, like, that's the round. Once he gets on top, it's easy money. It's just he chooses to not go there himself. A little bit frustrating. The Timor Valia fight is very similar. In the first round, he just stares at him. He doesn't do anything. He just hands him the first round on a silver plate. After the first, his corner is urging him, like, Rowney, you got to get going. He comes out in the second round, he almost knocks him out. He's this close to knocking him out. I mean, what a great round for Rowney Barcellos. Well, momentum's in our side. Let's pack up and go home. Third round, he just takes his foot off the gas again. His questionable decision-makings at times in the fight is like the only thing that's holding him back. And now, yes, he's also 34 years old. He's getting a little bit older. Uh, one has to worry, are his skills going to decline? It's not really his skills that are my issue. Skills are top-notch, world-class. 
is his decision-making process allows him at Bantamweight, they're close fights. A lot of these fights are going to go to decision as well. If you're in a close fight against a world-class guy, you've got to be able to put your foot on the gas a little bit more. You've got to be able to go for it in these close spots. Round, he kind of takes his foot off the gas. So I, I think he wins. It's just I got a feeling he probably does what he normally does. Boxes him up. It doesn't quite knock him out. Take him down, you know, grind him, good ground and pound. Doesn't, doesn't submit him. Just wins every round. Wins a 30-27. At worst, a 29-28. But I got a feeling that uh, Victor Henry, again, just too tough to get put away. You mentioned Victor Henry just, while well, he should be in the UFC already. I 100% agree. Dude's got wins over he, – here's his problem. Whereas he doesn't got a win over, wins over big known American guys, he spent so much time in Japan where he's got wins over Japanese legend Hideo Takoro, Japanese legend Matsukata Ueda, Japanese – or he's got Anderson Santos, UFC veteran, beat Otsuka again, <laughs> beat Kyler Phillips, a UFC veteran, Beat this Dennis Leventiev. You're going to be hearing this guy pretty soon, man. He's 33. Yeah. He's a little bit older. But what an absolute wrecking machine. Did lose to him. Went one and one. Beats Yuki Montoya again. Beats Masahori Kanahara, UFC veteran and Japanese veteran or Japanese legend. His last fight's Albert Morales, UFC veteran. He, he's fighting good guys, just not in the limelight. And that's why he's gone. He's like a Chris Curtis. Unfortunately, Chris Curtis is the man and has just ungodly power in his hands. And Victor Henry is more of these just like crafty guys that I think will be good enough to survive. But alas, he's falling into the same fate that a lot of guys run into versus Rowdy Barcelos. The UFC seemingly has a grudge against him and makes them debut against him. <laughs> like, like Carlos Huation, you know, like why is he in there? Like, I felt bad for Chris Gutierrez. I felt bad for yeah. Kurt Holubo. Kurt Holubo arguably was winning the fight based Nasty on poor ring IQ, but then he ends up getting knocked out in the third because Rowdy's got the skill. I just don't necessarily think he puts it together the best all the time. So he will be a parlay piece for me this week. I do have confidence in him to win the fight this week. I just don't have that confidence that he gets a finish and becomes essentially the first man to finish uh, Victor Henry. So I will take the decision, the decision prop, uh, rounding Barcelos plus 150. Victor Henry is definitely one of those uh, short notice-ish COVID era fighters that will actually get a couple wins inside the UFC. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think he's one of these guys that they're just picking up to fill in he he will have a, a decent career in the UFC. I think he'll pick a couple, uh, pick up a couple dubs here. Yep. All right, let's move on to the prelim headliner, where we have fellow Canadian stepping in on short notice. Charles Jordan, fresh off his win over Andre Ewell on the December eighteenth card, makes a quick turnaround to step in for Mozar Ivlov to take on the hype train of all hype trains. It seems Ilya Taporia, who comes in at minus six fifty. Now. <clears throat> Line's getting a little bit out of whack, right? This is what happens when hype just absolutely destroys the line, and I think that's what's what's happening here. I've even seen some books holding him around minus 800, minus 900, and it's just, I feel like people that are having that FOMO moment where they're just like, shit, I missed my opportunity on the good line. I'm still going to be parlaying with everything on the card or with my basketball games, with my NFL games. I'm throwing Jordan into, or sorry, uh, Toporia into those parlays. The only way I feel as though this fight could potentially be close is if Toporia goes out there and strikes with Jordan. But you would have to be complete numbnuts to be like, okay, I'm going to try to make this a close fight against a short notice guy in Jordan where a win over him probably doesn't do much for you, right? A win over Evilev, though, that would have done something for him considering what Evilev uh, is doing right now, his streak and all that stuff. Both guys are undefeated at the time. Uh, but to go to war willingly with a guy in Charles Jordan who has, I don't know what he has tattooed on his neck, but I don't want to be fucking with that dude anymore. That guy, especially that 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 savage mode he achieved in the Andre Ewell fight at the ending of that fight, 
you don't want to have a, a brawl with Jordan. And I'd be surprised if Taporia willingly engages in that with him. Taporia has the wrestling. Taporia has the grappling. And we've known Jordan, whenever he loses a fight, more often than not, it has to do with the grappling realm. And Taporia would be absolutely insane to not drag this into that realm as soon as he can. And I feel like that's why his line is also getting esteemed as much as it is in conjunction with the uh, the hype that's uh, that's around him. He's bit dispatching of these guys quickly. Ryan Hall, uh, Damon Jackson. I don't think he's going to dispatch of Jordan that quickly either. I could see this fight going into the, the second round, which is why I was surprised that the the over under is actually set at one and a half, not two and a half. Uh, I think that again, a lot of that is the hype, uh, and again, I think that Jordan is much more durable than what Ryan Hall and um, and and Damon Jackson were bringing to the table. Um, over one and a half, minus one thirty, not a bad line. Uh, Toporia by submission, probably later on in this fight. That's sitting at plus one twenty. God damn, these props on on Toporia, ugh. Even inside the distance, Toporia, minus 175. What's his decision line? Plus 250 on his decision. I'm thinking Toporia probably late second round, uh, some part in the third round uh, submission, or he cruises on to a decision in this spot. Last thing I'll say about him, that I'll flip it on over to you. A lot of people giving him shit about his cardio and the use of Zalal fight. Took that fight on short notice, so I'm cutting him a little bit of a slack there. So if this guy fight goes the full three rounds, I would like to see what his cardio is like, and if he can prove those people wrong as well. But Taporia seems like the goods, seems like the shit. Um, I won't be parlaying him as heavily this week, but I do think that he is the spot in this fight. And yeah, again, I, I'm 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 a little bit mystified on the props and which side to pick. I'll leave that to you here, and you can kind of serenade us with what your prop here is going to be for this fight. You got to go with the prop here because yeah, we definitely missed it. We just did the Dogger Pass show yesterday. It was Taporia as the pick of the week at minus five hundred, and then today, one day later, he's moved one hundred and fifty points on some books. Pretty crazy, but I can't say I disagree with the line movement. I think Taporia is the better fighter all around. Um, just to touch on a couple things, yeah, his UFC debut against Zalal, maybe the one time, the one little kryptonite we can point at, he got tired. So he took the fight on a week's notice, and he had COVID like three weeks before the fight. So I do give him a pass that, on that. Since then, he's looked nothing short of spectacular. He's still only 24 years old, BJJ black belt, very strong, great shape. Who signs on the dotted line to fight Mavzar Evloev and then is angry when Evloev pulls out of the fight, calling him a rat, being a like, rat. Like, Man, you are barking up. It's like, holy shit, man. This guy's Spanish Conor McGregor with the ground game. Like, I like it. Uh, I think the guy brings a lot to the table. So he's been good to us so far in the UFC. You just got to build them up. That's a huge fight against Evil Love. Charles Jordan coming in a short notice. Again, the only way this is competitive is if Taporia elects to make it competitive for the fans. Hey, I'll stand in front of this guy and brawl with him. Oh, you think he's an exciting striker? I'll stand with him and strike with him. Yeah, that's how it's competitive. If he goes out there and shoots the takedown, he'll get it. And if he gets the takedown, he will have a far superior grappling advantage. Like this is, you've been watching Jordan since the get-go, so you know this. Jordan cannot wrestle. It's not part of his game. Yeah, as an amateur, he could not wrestle. As a professional, he fights TJ Laramie. TJ Laramie's 19 years old and from a striking background. For 25 minutes, pillar to post, he got taken down pretty much every takedown attempt. He debuts in the UFC with Des Green. Tossed around. His fight with Andre Feely. Tossed around. He can't stuff takedowns. He has a 48% in the UFC, but keep in mind, it's like, you know, the 48% is low, right? Chain wrestling, they might shoot two takedowns to eventually get you down. He always falls down, and where it's like, oh, man, but he, what if he turns on beast mode? What if he turns on beast mode? Andre Ewell? Marcelo Rojo? 
Joshua Kulabau. You know what Ilya Tapuri would do to those guys? Like these are non-competitive. <laughs> My problem with them is that he doesn't have a ground game, right? Well, he'll throw up submission attempts. It's just he's he's smothered here. But his takedown defense is just such a glaring hole in this game that I think Tapuri is going to use it to great effect. If the fight does stay standing, I think Tapuri is able to back him up and largely able to box him up. He's going to be able to hit the body. He's going to maybe not have the pace, but I think he'll land it the cleaner shots. It's getting a hold of him and tossing him to the ground. And when you saw him fight Julian Arosa, right, the striking is competitive, but he's getting backed up. And all of a sudden, Arosa's having success. And all of a sudden, the guy looks puzzled. And all of a sudden, uh, the second round, he's getting taken down. In the third round, he's tired. He gets taken down. He gets submitted by Arosa. Arosa's done an excellent job of being that dark horse of the division, a guy that'll give you a tough fight. A lot of people don't necessarily expect much from him. He comes to fight. But if he's grounding you, if he's taking you into deep waters and drowning you, I think you're going to have a lot of trouble in this spot. And again, friends don't let friends bet on guys that had draws with Josh Kulabau. So uh, I, I don't mean to shit on, on him that bad. Like he's Canadian, my Canadian brethren, you know, he's a French guy as well, you know, got to support the guys from Quebec. I just, the UFC can give him the fun, exciting striker versus striker matchups, and they are fun. Look at his fight with Marcel Rojo, dude. This close to losing that fight. Like, it is a tooth and nail fight to the death. Those are fun. Fans like that. If you give him a guy that's going to take him down and smother him or has the capability of doing that, it might just be a route. And I think that's kind of how Ilya Tapuria addresses this one. So by TKO, I don't know, man. He's only got two career TKOs, one of them over Damon Jackson's a body shot. Charles Rodney got a cast iron chin. Well, he got dropped by Josh Kulabau, so I can't say cast iron. But he's never been knocked out. You know, the guy can't take a punch. It's the submission defense. That's the key. So I want Tapuri. I want Tapuri by submission. And then you look at the price. It's just not good. It's even. Even money. Even money for a submission prop. How often yeah. do you see that? <laughs> like, never. Never. Honestly, that's the answer. You never see that. Unless Kayla so, Harrison's fighting. Do you take him inside the distance? It's, yeah, it's minus 235 inside the distance. So... There's just uh, on a prop side of things, yeah. There's not a whole lot to love. I do think, again, I'm a decision kind of guy. I do think this one ends inside the distance, one of two ways: either Tapori takes him down and submits him, or he walks into a flying knee trying. Like that's Jordae's path to victory. He loves to throw that flying uh, technique stuff. You know, a flying knee could theoretically land, uh, but more often than not, I think Tapori is just going to keep that undefeated streak going, take him down, grind him down till you get the submission. Plus 1,200 Jordan by KO. So if you do fancy yourself a big upset here, that's probably the way to go in that spot. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims yeah. here. Uh, I want to give another quick shout out here to Cloudbet for uh, supporting the show as well. Uh, one of the first ever crypto sports books on the planet. So make sure you guys go support them. They will match your initial deposit up to uh, 100% for up to five Bitcoin. Uh, they allow fiat through MoonPay now. Uh, there's a bunch of countries that they're available except the USA, the UK, and a couple other ones. But wink wink we'll figure that out uh fast withdrawals low margin high limits make sure you guys go check out cloudbed and then obviously check out bovada as well 250 dollars welcome bonus both of those links are in the description below one more thing you guys will actually find in the description is the fanatics fantasy mma app uh if you guys join that link that is on the on the page here you guys will actually get put into a league and if you guys win that league uh the guy who runs the league i, I the name is slipping my mind here but he actually gives away signed UFC merch. So if you guys just put in your, put in your picks on the that fantasy league and you guys come out on top, you guys might walk away with some cool autographed UFC merch as well. So shout out to all of those guys. All right, Cody, let's keep it going here. We got the main card coming up here. First and foremost, 
Adolfo Vieira going up against Wellington Terman. In terms of odds, we got minus 210 now on Vieira and plus 175 to return on Wellington Terman. Now, the, the jury is kind of out on uh, Vieira a little bit, right? Um, could be a gasser. Could be one of those guys that, like, after the first or second round, starts to fall off a cliff. But now everybody is of the belief that he, since he's submitted a guy in Dustin Solzfus, that his cardio is all of a sudden great and he can go three rounds if he needs to in this spot. Uh, we saw it in the Anthony Fluffy Hernandez fight. Obviously, it failed him in that fight. But we did see some discipline from him in that Dustin Solzfus fight. He didn't shoot one takedown in that first round. And I think that was a part of the game plan. That was more so for him to go out there and test his strike and get some mat time, get some fight time under his belt. And you see pretty much the only combination he was throwing the entire time, one-two, down the middle, one-two. Anytime I'm in range, I'm going to throw a one-two. And then the first thing he does in round two, shoot for a takedown. And he gets the takedown, but he doesn't submit Dustin Stolzfus. He's forced to work a little bit more. But Stolzfus has shown us, even in his last fight now against Gerald Mearshard, even if he's up, he does start to fall behind in that third round, and even he is susceptible to getting finished in that third round, and it's happened twice to him. So I'm not putting too much stock into that Stoltzfus fight for Vieta. Wellington Terman, on the other hand, you know, a lot of people have had confidence in him in other fights, but now a lot of people seem to be losing respect for him considering that he had such a close fight with Sam Alvey. Now, Sam Alvey actually fights on the February 5th card, and I'm obviously looking forward to breaking down that fight. But the one thing that Sam Alvey still has, even though he's 0-6-1 in his last seven fights, he still has a decent takedown defense game. It's still hard to hold a guy down. You know, I mean, he's always going to show some sort of resistance. And Wellington Terman's game is a lot more grappling-based than anything. You're looking, you, you see him going for takedowns. You see him trying to take the back. But Sam Alvey wasn't giving it up. And I think people are looking at, at that fight a little bit too hard and saying, oh, look, he's going neck for neck or neck and neck against a guy like Sam Alvey. He's absolute trash. But I think the guy has some goods, man. He's moved up his camp to Connecticut to train with old man Glover Teixeira, trying to get some of that rub off of him as well. But I think he has a good enough submission game to stay out of trouble if he gets taken down in this spot. And I think he has the better striking game of the two, not to mention more power than both of the guys, that I think he can make this a very difficult fight for Vieta to win. So people that continuously try to trust Vieira at these heavy chalk odds, I just don't really understand it. It's hilarious seeing him go as a massive favorite to Anthony Hernandez, all the way down to what was he, minus 175, minus 180-ish against Dustin Stoltzfus. He beats him, and now he's again minus 270, minus 275 against, in my opinion, Wellington Terman, a much better fighter than Dustin Stoltzfus. So the spots that I'm looking at, there's a couple shiny spots. I've already taken some Wellington Terman money line at plus 225 earlier in the week, so it's good to see the money starting to come in on him as well. But I think he could possibly finish him later in this fight which is uh, round three, tournament is plus 1,600. Uh, even inside the distance is not too bad a line at plus 350. But I could see him play it safe, man, not to get caught in anything in the jiu-jitsu room or not to give up any takedowns or anything like that. And if this fight goes the full 15 minutes, uh, you got tournament by decision currently sitting around plus 500. It was actually plus 600 the last time I looked at it. But either way, the money's starting to come in on there. My official pick is going to be tournament. Uh, later in this fight, round three, plus 1,600. I'll take a little bit of a stab on that. But even his money line, man, I think that is too nice to pass up against the guy in Vieta. I still don't think is a shit. Yeah, he's a great jujitsu guy, but that's only going to get him so far. And I think Terman will give him some issues in this spot. What's given Terman issues? Guys that are able to knock him out. I don't think Vieira is going to knock this guy out. So um, yeah, I'm on Terman. Terman late. Let's see how it goes down. How do you like this one? 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. On one hand, I told myself I would never bet Vieira again because, yeah, I mean, the loss to Hernandez was just real embarrassing stuff. He had the fight where he wanted it, and he gassed, and he got caught in a submission. Guillotine submission. That exact submission kept popping up on uh, submission of the year candidates for the year-end review shows. I kept thinking to myself, it's kind of a bum submission. Why is it on these? But it, it's the magnitude of it. This is the black belt hunter, Rodolfo Vieira. This is the, the best jiu-jitsu in the UFC, Rodolfo Vieira. And you're going to choke this guy on the basis of he tires out? Like, yeah, he just doesn't have it. Then the Stolfus fight. His striking look definitely looked improved in that fight. But, yeah, I, I, just, I, I don't know. I'm not fully sold on him. He had Stolfus down for the, a large majority of the second round. Didn't do anything with it. Oh, he choked out Justin Stolfus in the third round. You know, his cardio looked good there. Justin Stolfus is winning probably two rounds to nothing against Jerome Mearshart just recently and got choked out in the third round. Why? Because he's got bum cardio too. So someone that can push a pace will be a threat, but Wellington Terman doesn't push a pace. His cardio is not all that good. Second of all, Wellington Terman likes to establish wrestling in all of his wins. That's how he fights. That's not going to be on the table here against Rodolfo Vieira. Well, what's his plan? Go out and secure a takedown and play top control? Like I don't know. I just don't think that's a viable game plan for a path to victory. As much as Vieira, probably we were sold a, a bad bill of goods, you know, maybe he's a little bit fraudulent. He's still only 32, and he's a baby in MMA. Like, he's still got a ways to go. If he does figure it all out, like, yeah, he's still got that grappling in his back pocket. I don't think Terman just takes him down and he's just going to lie on his back for the entire time. He'll be threatening. And with Terman, yeah, I mean, listen, his wins, Marcus Perez, he got two takedowns. Uh, Sam Alvey, he got two takedowns. Another of which are great fights. His, his loss to Carl Roberson, he got four takedowns in that fight. And then his other two, Sanchez and Bruno Silva, those are the only two fights he doesn't establish a takedown in, and he gets knocked out in both of them. So his chin's a little bit questionable. His cardio is a little bit questionable. And where he's able to take down lesser opponents and hold down those guys, I just don't think he's going to do it against Vieira. Do I agree with the minus 210 price tag? Absolutely not. I don't. But I kind of do think he is the better guy. And if you were going to pick him, you would think you'd pick him by submission. But uh, this is just going to be a little bit of sprinkle. I would take the TKO, plus 700. Why? Do I think he's going to catch him with a standing punch? No. What I do think is that he'll probably get one of these, I get on top of you, you're tired, I passed him out, you give up your back, I give you a couple short shots, you cover up, the referee says defend yourself, you don't, and they stop it. It's going to be a cheeky TKO stoppage later in once tournament starts to tire. But uh, uh, listen, 13 fights, you can pass on some of them if you don't like them. This might be one of the ones you're looking to pass on. On a personal level, I like a lot of the fights on this card. Trevin Giles, Michael Morales, I don't care for. Vanessa Demopoulos, Silvana uh, Gomez Juarez, that is a close fight. This is the other one. Rodolfo Vieira versus Wellington Terman. One guy burned me in Rodolfo. I said never again. The other guy, Terman, has never once, never once have I walked away from a Wellington Terman fight thinking, that guy's not bad. Never once. I don't think it starts here. Uh, I will say somebody shouted it out in the comment section. The over one and a half around minus 140, not too bad of a spot. I could see this fight get extended. And uh, seven and a half minutes, not too, not yeah. that long. So, uh, yeah, I do like that spot as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. A uh, 135-pound belt between Cody Stamen and Saeed Nurmagomedov. In terms of odds, we're looking at plus one. Uh, 65 for Cody Stamen, minus 185, minus 190-ish is a return on Saeed Nurmagomedov. Now, this, this is a message for all the casuals out there. This is not the Nurmagomedov that you're thinking of, nor the type of fighter that you're going to be getting either. This is, I, I like to kind of classify them as the East Coast Dagestanis and the West Coast Dagestanis. The East Coast, or sorry, the West Coast guys, 
AKA products, right? You got the Islam Mahachevs, you got the Habib Nurmagomedovs. Those are guys that kind of like to uh, attack the wrestling more so. That's their approach. Whereas the East Coast Dagestanis, you got the Timur Valiyevs of the world, the Zabit Magomed Sharapovs, the um, Saeed Nurmagomedovs who work with um, Mark Henry. And what they like to do is more so strike, right? They have a diverse skill set in terms of their striking. They like to spin a lot. That's one thing that I saw a lot with Saeed Nurmagomedov. Uh, but he likes to trust his hands more than anything. Uh, but with the Cody Stamen side of things here, I think Stamen could be the better wrestler in this spot, and I think he could put Saeed into some compromising positions. I don't necessarily agree with the odds. I do think that Stamen could stay active enough here uh, with his striking, which is improving. His boxing is definitely improving. Uh, I, I can't recall the lady that he started working with for his boxing over the last couple of fights, but it's definitely making some strides. Uh, he sometimes fights... Uh, yes, I believe that's who it was. Um, and even the... Uh, uh, like sometimes you see him in a, he kind of reminds me of Darren Crookshank at times with the, with the striking style. Yeah, where he that's his does prodigy, that yeah. Style. yeah, that's his prodigy there. So you kind of yeah. see that come out of him with his kicks, but I think it's his wrestling that will likely win him this fight. I don't think that Saeed has a crazy takedown defense. Like I, I we've seen him taken down in the past. Marcelos obviously was able to do that. Marcelos very good wrestler in his own right, but I think Cody Stamen could replicate that as well here as uh, too. Uh, but I think he needs to be early and often with those takedown attempts. Can't just be sitting back and let Saeed win this fight off of minutes just by striking from the outside, not landing anything of crazy significance because Cody Stamen quite durable. So I think even if he take, takes one on the chin here, he should be fine. But it's not getting behind on the volume or the output of Saeed is going to be important. And I think Cody Stamen is quite reliable to go out there and shoot for takedowns over and over again if he needs to. We saw it in the Jimmy Rivera fight. Uh, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, and I think that's something that he's going to look to employ here. So uh, I actually took a money line shot on Cody Stamen around plus 200. I think that that line is egregious. And I think that this is uh, a very good spot for him to go out there and pull off the upset. In terms of a specific prop, I'll give it to Saeed. Tough to put away, so I'm going to be saying Stamen, uh, another guy who doesn't really put anybody away either. Uh, Stamen by decision plus 240. Sign me up for that. I'm down with that. The overs is obviously uh, a decent spot, but again, the line is crazy. Uh, over two and a half minus 300. So uh, yeah, Cody Stamen, Cody Stamen by decision plus 240. Stays more active with the grappling. Uh, overall striking, I like Cody here. How are you seeing this one? Shit, me, you, and Paul, we're all on uh, the same dog of the week. Let's so go. Yeah, I just think I, I, a lot of it's got to do with the last name. It has to do with the last name, Nurmagomedov. There's no way around it. I don't know how you otherwise come to the conclusion that he should be a two-to-one favorite in this spot. Could he win on the basis of his striking? Sure. But yeah, I think more often than not, he's going to end up getting taken down. That would be the path to victory. When you have the last name and it's very difficult, people are like, are they related? Oh, they're cousins. Are they cousins? No, they're not related. They're not related at all, <laughs> but you have the name. So there's an automatic assumption, scary Russian last name, good-looking record, guy can wrestle. And in this case, yeah, I, I don't really think he particularly can. So a couple of good things going for us if we're taking Cody Stamen as the underdog, which clearly we are. Uh, Cody Stamen made his UFC debut at 145 pounds. He also fought Brian Keller at 145 pounds. He's one of the bigger bantamweights on the roster. He routinely trains down in Las Vegas with a bunch of USC featherweights. And he's bigger than that. TJ Laramie fights at 145 pounds yeah. in the UFC. Cody Stamen, much bigger than him. He's a big, strong dude. The flip side to that for Saeed Nurmagomedov, he debuted against Justin Scoggins at 125. He had fought the majority of his regional scene at 125 pounds. When you look at his loss prior to uh, in the UFC against Rowney Barcelos, Magomed Babulatov, Babulatov takes him down and controls him. That's the path of victory. They know it. Now, Rowney 
doesn't take the, the, the path of least resistance. He doesn't take the low-hanging fruit. He stands in front of him, has two takedowns. But keep in mind, both of those takedowns come off botched kick attempts, right? So Saeed's problem is even though he's not a great counter-wrestler, he, uh, he'll leave himself open by throwing spinning techniques. He'll leave himself open by throwing a lot of kicks. That will allow someone who's waiting to catch something to get a hold of it and take you down. Once round, he does take him down. That's what you do. Ground this guy. Beat him that way. His wins in the UFC, Ricardo Ramos, Mark Streigel, first-round knockouts. Well, good luck with that because Cody Stamen has never been knocked out. He has a pretty solid chin, right? And then he beat Scoggins on a closely contested split decision. So former flyweight, struggled with wrestling. Both pro losses are because he's getting grounded by a bigger, better wrestler. What's there not to like about Cody Stamen? Stamen has secured at least one takedown in his last four fights. Some of those guys include Marab Dabashvili, who he's able to take down. Jimmy Rivera, who's, I don't know why the UFC cut him. He was a once upon a time a top five, top ten guy. Yeah. Uh, Song Yudong. Five times he took down Song Yudong. And you've seen what Song, out of Team Alpha Male, has been able to do in the UFC since then. Like, this guy goes out there and busts prospects. He got robbed in the Yudong fight. He was a big underdog against Tom Dukanoy, who was supposed to be the future of striking, yeah. right? Like, this is what he does. He comes in here and he takes care of business. With his wrestling, pressure the guy, move him backwards, get the takedown. I think he does have an avenue to do that. So I, I, I agree with a large majority of your points. You got Cody Stamen money line. That was the way to go. Cody Stamen by decision, because if he's going to win, it is, it is very much going to be a decision, plus 225. If you are greasy, you want to get greasy with it. Some books offer the split decision prop. This has got split decision written all over it. What are the judges like? Do they like the striking or the grappling? Saeed lands a couple strikes standing. He gets taken down. Uh, Stamen's on him for two and a half minutes. He was probably getting the better of the striking for two and a half minutes. What do you like? What do you like? It's going to be subjective to what the judges like more. I think they'll go with the grappling. I think Stamen takes care of business. I think he wins. I'll have the money line. I'll have the decision prop. If you want to get greasy with it, it could be a split. But, I mean, that you'd have to be a degenerate, right? Other than that, just take your shot on your underdog. Or, uh, you know, if you disagree with both of us, you know, do whatever you want. Doesn't matter. I'm just thinking. Yeah, this is a card where it's been steamed because the line's been out for a while. A lot of the favorites that you do like, way too big at this point, right? Minus 500 favorites, minus 350 favorites. No, no more meat on the bone. Where's that one underdog you like this week, right? Do you like anything other? Oh, uh, you like Jasmine, right? She's a, a good sizable underdog. I think. Yeah, yeah, you got a couple good-looking dogs. I took three, but not a whole lot of them are that big plus money. When I looked at uh, Cody Stamen, path of victory, good chance, good style, two-fight losing streak against good competition, right? Yeah. And I think uh, he's able to get back in the win column here. I love it. I love it. I'm always happy when we're on the side of the a big underdog, uh, and, and I think that we should hopefully cash our tickets this weekend. But in terms of a prop, statement by decision, that seems to be the, the the one that we agree upon here. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Michelle Pereira going up against Andre Fialo. Uh, in terms of odds, we currently have minus 280 on Pereira and plus 225 on Fialo. Now, uh, Pereira was actually scheduled to fight Muslim Salikov uh, last week. Uh, unfortunately, Salikov pulled out. Fialo comes in, and they're supposed to fight last week. Uh, but unfortunately, Fialo, one of his teammates, I believe, tested positive for COVID. They pushed the fight back one week, and now here they are getting a primetime spot on a big UFC pay-per-view event. And that just goes to show how fun this fight will likely be uh, to, to stuff these guys in the middle of a, a banger of a card that we currently have for UFC 270. And I think that these guys deliver. Um, 
uh, Pereira, we know what his style is, right? Likes to do the dancing on the outside, uses his movement a lot, likes to use his speed as well to get in and out, hit as, uh, you know, as much as he can and then get out without getting hit. And we're starting to see an evolution in his game. We're starting to see him go out there and start take people, start to take people down. I mean, in second and third rounds, when his uh, cardio or his movement is not as good as it was in the first round, he looks to try to ground you and just beat you up on the ground as well. I'm really loving the uh, the improvements that we're seeing from him. Fialo, on the other hand, uh, seems to be a guy that likes to really get his striking going, but I feel as though the style that he's going to be dealing with with Pereira here won't allow him to really get his game going. Uh, you see it on pretty much all of his regional tape, uh, you know, his LFA fights and all that. You can see when his opponent dictates the pace and dictates how the fight is going to go. He almost kind of succumbs to it and it just allows them to do it. Um, I, I, the guy's name is escaping me, Santos Jr. The guy was getting off first every single time with his strikes, with his clinch attempts, with his takedowns, and Fiala was kind of just complying with it. Uh, Chris Curtis, another other guy who had a beautiful performance with the striking there and really put it in on, on Andre Fialo and, and uh, just beat him to a pole pretty much. A great performance from Chris Curtis there. Now, Pereira, it's going to be very hard for Fialo to get his game going, right? We got the big octagon for this pay-per-view card as well, and I feel like that's ample room for Pereira to do what he needs to do on the outside and just frustrate Fialo. I'm Stumped between whether Pereira actually gets the finish here, though, because maybe he plays it a little safe. Fialo can obviously punch really hard, right? We saw him knock out James Vick the way that he did a couple fights ago. He holds a ton of power in his hands. Even his fight before coming to the UFC, the UAE Warriors fight against uh, former UFC fighter Stefan uh, Stekulic, absolutely blasts him with an elbow in that uh, clinch position and was able to get him out of there. Pereira wants none of that. He wants to stay on the outside, get his strikes off, and try to come out unscathed in this spot. So uh, the spot that I was leaning was Pereira by decision. I think he just danced around and now points this guy, maybe lands a takedown or two the later uh, that this fight goes. Uh, Pereira by decision is currently sitting at plus 200. Uh, even the over, uh, well, we have over one and a half at five times at minus 145 and over two and a half at plus 120. I don't mind that either. I, I do think that even though these guys have a ton of power, I think we'll see Pereira just play it safe as possible and land takedowns where he needs to, which should prolong this fight. So uh, I'm going Pereira, Pereira by decision. How do you see this one? Yeah, honestly, sometimes you get a gut feeling. You don't know why. You want to run with it. I think Pereira just mops right through him. TKO plus 190. That's the road I'm going. Uh, I've been watching Andre Fialo for a very long time. At no point have I been impressed. He signs with Bellator. This is 2016. He's a young, undefeated prospect. He's out of Sanford MMA now. At the time, he's out of American Kickboxing Academy. Sky's the limit, right? Wins his first two fights. They match him up against Chidi and Jaquani. He gets knocked out in 21 seconds. After that, dude, all downhill. He won his next two fights, a split decision over 8-6 and six, AJ Matthews and a majority decision over tough washout Javier Torres, and Bellator releases him. He's 4-1. and one. He's young. He's out of a great camp. They release him. There's nothing there. PFL picks him up. They gave him effectively two fights. Chris Curtis played with his food in the first round, and then once Fiala started to tire, he turned it up on him, TKO'd him in the third. Glyco Fraca fights only a two-rounder. Glyco Fraca fought in the UFC at 155 pounds, and of course... Uh, Glenco Fraco wins a fight, two-round decision, and I think he ended up testing positive or something. So it's a no contest, but Fialo didn't look good. Now you get the Antonio Carlos Jr. fight, or the An Antonio Dos Santos fight. Yeah. What's frustrating there is that Dos Santos was an 0-2 UFC washout. Like, he was on Tough Brazil. He was no good. He lost both of his fights and just faded out. And he hadn't fought professionally in three years. He shows up to this LFA main event against Fialo. His cardio was off. His timing was off. 
he just like you said, he just he he beats him to the punch. He leads the dance the entire time. Fiallo just doesn't do it. He just stares at him. The most frustrating thing. So now you are cut from Bellator. They didn't see anything in you. PFL gives you two fights. They release you as well. LFA, not that they were really going to keep him around that long. They release him. They release him as well. Nobody's sticking by this guy. Now he goes on a little win. He beats James Vick. Retires right after because James Vick realizes he can't take a punch. He'd be saying, saying who you, Lincoln Puig. If you're thinking to yourself who, you're not wrong. Stefan Sekulich, UFC veteran, knocks him out in the first round. You know, that looks decent. But that's that's the guy he is, right? He's a confidence-based fighter. He's still only 27, but when he has his way, when he has a good first round, when he knocks guys out early, that's him at his best. When the fight's prolonged beyond a round, when you pressure him, when you put offense on him, and you get in his face, he crumbles. And how the fuck are you going to fight Michelle Pereira and not face a little adversity? He is coming at you. The guy is going, maybe it's a backflip. Maybe it's a run off the cage showtime kick. Maybe it's a rolling thunder. Maybe the motherfucker is going to break dance during his walkout. You don't know. But he's going to bring it. That's the sad thing about it. Dude's the biggest welterweight I've ever seen. That's why I'm going to be yeah. surprised to see him step on the scale once again. Because he's massive. He's learned to reel back the craziness you know he does use his wrestling a lot more that's a great path here take down fialo beat on him tire him out and then put some pressure right his last two fights have gone to decision but chaos williams is decent. and uh for nico price again he rocks him a couple times he not near finish but he put a pretty decent beating on nico price for the first two and then gassed out gassing out is kind of a problem of his sometimes the lima madaya fight looked good in the third but I think what this comes down to is he's got the superior firepower, the better skill set, more experience, fought on the bright lights. He's got a full camp for this fight. And Fialo's not at this level, coming in on short notice, got questionable cardio to begin with. The first round may be competitive. His way to win this fight, if you were backing him, is chin check this guy in the first and knock him out. If this goes beyond the first round, I think Pereira's just going to tire him out and eventually just start hurting him, breaking him down, force himself a, a late finish. So, yeah, again, uh, I don't always chase the finish side of things, but in this case, I just I don't think this is going the full 15 minutes. I think Prayer is going to win. I think Prayer is going to win by TKO, and that plus 190, not terrible. I always find it hilarious when me and you end up on like the opposite side of the outcome of the fight, right? Usually, I'm the violence guy uh, betting the TKOs and the inside the distance, and then you're right. the, taking the decision right. props. So interesting how we see this fight playing out, uh, but we'll see who ends up on the right side. But we both will end up on the right side if we do have uh, Pereira in a couple parlays, which I think you know you, you can make a decent case for. I think he absolutely mops the floor here with the guy. I'm just not sure if he finishes him, but Cody thinks he does. So let's see how that plays yeah, out. Yeah, right, right. And he would be a top-ticket guy for me. Unfortunately, when I play, I play out the fight a thousand times in my head, right? And you know what pops up at least 250 times in a thousand-fight simulation is that he's winning the fight, he's winning the fight, he gets himself disqualified with an illegal technique. Like, he's not... Trustworthy man, pre the Diego Sanchez fight is as easy as a win as is ever going to happen, and he gets himself DQ'd with an illegal knee. The Nico Price fight, he does a backflip onto the guy's <laughs> guard and and actually does almost stomps his head this yeah. close, does kick him in the head, but almost straight out mushed his face in like when you kick in an old pumpkin. Like it was like holy crap, dude, what are you doing? Right? He's uh he's not trustworthy, not because he's not going to win. Because he will get disqualified and lose. Like, just unbelievable. But uh, as a skill for skill, 280, I think. I think that's baked in he could get himself disqualified. Because otherwise he should be along with all the other bigger favorites on the card. If Tapori is a minus 650, Rowney's a minus 550, 
Uh, Madalena is what a minus three seventy five right now. Uh, yeah, like I got Madalena. like. Yeah, he's in the right. I'm thinking, oh shit, two eighty. That's value. That's gonna juice up my <laughs> ticket two eighty, just because in comparison to the other ones this week, right? But those are the fights that we do like. I love it. I love it. All right, first title fight of the night. We're gonna get right into it here. The flyweight strap is on the line. The third time these fellows have met up with each other. Brandon Moreno though comes in as the champion this time, and he's coming in at minus one eighty. The return on Davison Figueredo, the challenger. Is plus 155. Now, let me just lay out a couple odds here for you guys in terms of what these guys were scheduled, or sorry, what these guys were at in the first two fights. In the first fight, Davison Figueredo closed as a minus 335 favorite. Brandon Moreno came in at plus 275. In the second fight, and obviously we know that fight went to a uh, went to a draw. Point deduction for Davison Figueredo robbed him of his uh, victory. But then again, when you do as many fouls as he had in that fight, you deserve a point deduction. So totally. that fight obviously hits raw. Uh, second time around, minus 195 favorite he closed as, uh, and plus 150 to return on Brandon Moreno that night. But now Moreno goes out there and finishes him in that uh, second fight. And now he's the minus 180 favorite. So Initially, right off the bat, I think there is just a huge market overcorrection here, and this fight should be closer lined to maybe even a pick'em spot. Because, in my opinion, I, I tweeted out earlier this week, it felt like Davison Figueiredo left the God of War in the locker room before he came out to have that fight because that was not the Figueiredo that we're used to seeing in the first fight. A shout out to my guy John Kelly who kind of tweeted out saying, "Just watch the beginning of their first fight or the first two fights. The first fight you see him go out there and he starts to fight off with a spinning back kick and asserts his dominance right away. In the second fight, he kind of just lets Moreno dictate the fight, how it's going to go, and he seemed a little bit gun shy. I'm not sure if I had to do with his weight cut, whatever it may be, but I just don't think." That was the Figueredo that we have grown to love over his uh, UFC career. However, changing camps, going to team up with guys like uh, at Fight Ready and teaming up with Henry Cejudo, you got to believe Henry Cejudo, a lifelong weight cutter, has got to have given this guy a couple of tips to be like, hey, let's you know, let's clean that up. Let's not leave your fight on the scale. Let's actually go into the octagon and have as much of you as possible. And I think that's another benefit that some people are overlooking with him teaming up with Fred Reddy and uh, Suhudo and those guys. So I think he will come in shape and ready to go, hopefully on weight. Once again, shout out to CloudBet supporting the show. They will more than likely be posting a uh, a line for that, whether Figueredo makes weight or not, uh, later this evening. Again, link is in the description below. Best way to support you guys is going to that link and signing up with CloudBet. Possibly signing up for that or, or betting on that uh, prop, but I think Figueredo comes in shape. I think he makes weight. We've seen the pictures out and about already of him looking shredded, ready to go, looks healthy, good to go. And I think we see that God of War coming back here. I think we see him going there and just do what the God of War does: big shots, dictate the pace, have Brandon Moreno on his back foot. And Moreno, we've seen it, man. This guy's chin is made of granite. It's very tough to put that guy away. So I think we get something closer to the first fight where they just go at it for five rounds. But I think the bigger, more impactful shots, just like the first fight, will be the 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 breaking or the, the reasoning as to why Davison Figueredo comes away with this win. So I'm going with Figueredo. Figueredo by decision. I believe that line is currently sitting at plus 450. I think that's the spot here. You can go with the overs over three and a half, uh, I believe is the widely available line. That's at minus one, uh, 120. Over four and a half is at plus 100. But the specific winner here, I'm going with Figueredo to get that title back, plus 450 via decision. I love Moreno, love the developments and improvements he's made, but I think that Davison 
if he is in the right mindset, ready to go, brings that God of War with him, I think he uh, gets his trap back in the spot. So Figueredo, decision plus 450. Cody, how are you feeling about this one? All over Brandon Moreno. Love Brandon Moreno. Can get the <laughs> job done? I think. Yeah, yeah, I know, man. I know. We're in a big disagreement here. Not just we're disagreeing, okay. we're in a big disagreement here. I don't think Figueredo was – this is going to sound like a hater. I don't think he was ever that good to begin with. But I think those best days, those God of War days, those prime, just huge power for this division, that big guillotine choke, like I just don't think it's there anymore. He's 34 years old. That doesn't sound old if you were a heavyweight, but at 125 pounds, that's ancient, man. It's a division that's a young man's game. It's predicated on speed and timing. I just don't think he has it. This is his UFC run, okay? Bear with me. Marco Beltran, he knocks him out in two. He has his way. God of War, all way too much power. Jared Brooks, split decision victory. I thought he lost. A lot of people thought he lost. It gets extended. He has bad cardio. falls apart. Joseph Morales, second round knockout. John Moraga, second round knockout. That's God of War. Yusir Formiga loses a decision. He gasses out. He gets taken down. Alexander Pantoji wins a decision. Close fight. 1-1 going into the third round. Anybody's fight. Figueredo almost loses that. Tim Elliott, quick finish. Joseph Benavides misses weight. Who misses weight for a world title fight? Joe Riggs and this fucking guy. Like, nobody does that, <laughs> right? But yes, yeah, he misses weight for Joseph Benavides the first time around, but gets a quick finish. The second time around, quick finish. The Alex Perez fight, quick finish. That's who he is. He quick finishes. Oh, great. The guy looks good. The fight extends out past two rounds. He falls apart. Now he's a world champion. It's a five-round fight. The bums of the division, Joseph Benavides is not a bum. He's just old. Alex Perez is not a bum. He's just not a world title challenger, right? Tim Elliott's not a bum. He's just, sometimes he is a bum. You beat those guys. You feel good. You finish them quick. Someone that's going to take you into deeper waters, we know that's where you struggle. So the first Brandon Moreno fight, that's exactly how it went. I actually did take the plus 275 on Moreno the first time around. The first two rounds, it's all figgy. The third round, there is a point deduction, but the tide's turning, man. Why is there a point deduction? Because he's tired and he's getting sloppy. And his moves aren't working that much. Third round's a close round. Fourth round's Moreno's. Fifth round's Moreno's. That's uh, that's I the later fight. That. Plays for I Brandon Moreno. Round five. Oh, you I you can you can make an argument. Okay, fair. So this is the crazy thing about that fight. Uh, MMA decisions. Moreno. Moreno. I'm pretty sure the. MMA okay, so this is. No, it was, there wasn't much going on in that round, right? Most of it was Figgy kind of moving forward and throwing his big shots. The volume and all that stuff was quite low in that round, which is why I believe that they should have gone with the Figgy side. Two judges, if I'm not mistaken, gave it to Figgy as well. Yeah, okay. Are you on MMA decisions right now? I'll pull it up. Right because now. there's like a weird glitch in the system. Yeah, I know. I just want to know if it's a weird glitch in your system as well. But Derek Cleary, first two rounds for Figgy. Saul D'Amato splits it 1-1. Juji uh, Kamajiro gives it two rounds for Figgy. They're not agreeing. The third round, everybody has it as a, as a round for Figgy in a point deduction. The fourth round, Derek Cleary gives it for Moreno. Saul Damato gives it for Moreno. Kiji gives it for Moreno. The last round, the fifth round, you've got two judges giving it Figgy. It's all over the place. The media members are split right down the middle. Half of them got it Figueredo. Half of them got a draw. It's a close fight. The difference is it's a close fight with a... 33-year-old champion versus a 24-year-old challenger. He was a three-and-a-half-to-one favorite on the money line, and he just had a draw in a competitive fight. It doesn't matter if you think he might have won the fourth round or think he might have won the fifth round. He got tested. So now the rematch, he knows, oh, shit, this guy can take my best punch. 
oh, this guy can fight. So he doesn't come at him trying to knock him out in the first round like he normally does to people. He's reserved. He takes his time. He looks like shit. So great that he went down to fight Ready MMA. I think that's good, right? It's a great camp. But uh, again, you've you've seen people go to fight Ready before. It's not the end of the world, right? Not Rose Namajunas was able to go out defend this trap, like you know, it's not the it's not the end all be all. John Jones is there now. Like it's just a camp for people who are looking for that little something extra. Figgy's thirty four. He looks like he's in good shape. But if you watch any of like the UFC All Access stuff, like he's a, he's not a likable guy. He's full of himself. He's just so cocky all the time. <laughs> He looked past Brandon Moreno, and he paid for it. And so now, my my humble opinion, he lost the last two rounds of the Brandon Moreno fight the first time. He lost all three rounds of the Brandon Moreno fight before getting finished in the rematch. He's lost the last five rounds against Brandon Moreno. I don't care if he's coming in better shape. He's going to get torched up here. And they're giving me less than a two-to-one price tag on a champion in Brandon Moreno. I love it. The only one thing that could get me in trouble is I bet Brandon Moreno by decision the last time and Figgy just didn't show up, looked like a bum, and got smoked out in three. So what do I do this time around? I want to take the over two and a half at minus 190. I want to take the over three and a half at minus 140. I want to take the Brandon Moreno by decision. I want that. But seeing how awful he looked the last time, I don't know. And yes, there's even a prop available. Will Figgy make way? We don't trust the guy to get on the scale. We don't trust the guy to look good on the scale. We don't trust the guy to fight five rounds. And he's gonna go. Is he gonna knock out a Mexican? Good luck knocking out an, a cast iron chin Mexican. Is he gonna submit Brandon Moreno? No, I don't think so. I give the advantage to Moreno. I just think this kid's he's he, he, he passing of the torch, man. This is what happens. And the last, I wish I had the number right in front of me, but there was a number we used to look at all the time, and it was how often does an older champion lose the belt to the younger contender and get it back in the rematch. And it was like, almost never. It almost never happens. It's a passing of the torch. Henan Barrow ain't going to beat TJ Dillashaw in a rematch. doesn't matter if you book it, right? Like, they say the torch has been passed. Brandon Moreno is superior to him, and I think that you can live bet Brandon Moreno, maybe get a better live betting price if Figgy is competitive for the first two. But then if you look how the second fight went down, there, no live better, there was no better live betting price to have in that spot. Because he just routed him. I think he's going to maybe not route him, but he's going to have his way. So when you're looking at a card, who are the picks that you like? Okay, well, we like Pereira. He's a minus 280. That's pretty big. We like Anilia Tapura at minus 650. We like a Rowney Barchos at minus 550. We like a Jack Madalena at minus 375. We like a Matt Frivola. Even he's 240. I like Kay Hansen. She's almost 3 to 1. When you get something like a minus 180 on a Brandon Moreno, that has to be where my chips fall for sure. That's what's going to end up juicing my tickets up. And uh, I don't feel bad about it. I like Brandon Moreno. I've picked him in his prior two meetings. I have no reason to change it now. I like it. I like it. I love I love these. Uh, again, I feel pretty strong on the Figueredo side. You feel pretty strong on the Moreno side. I'm glad that we get to see it go down in the uh, in two days here. Um, but yeah, first battle for Figueredo is going to be that scale. Uh, all signs point to that he should look fine on the scale. But again, we'll find out tomorrow all right we got one more fight to talk about it is the heavyweight title between francis Ngannou and sirogan but i do just want to quickly pay the bills here as well uh shout out to the guys over at cool bet like i said in or, or uh, sorry uh cloud bet uh like i said in the figueredo uh breakdown they will be posting odds whether he makes weight tomorrow morning or not so make sure you guys go check that out link is in the description below if you do not have access to cloud bet there is bovada for you guys they will match your initial deposit up to 250 bucks so make sure you guys show them show them some love as well and then obviously 
our first time here on the All-Star. Shout out to the All-Star for bringing us on board to do these pay-per-view breakdowns for you guys. We got close to, I peaked, I think we peaked around 105 live viewers. It seems like the majority of our fans are uh, starting to come over, not to mention in the chat as well. I see all the regulars in there as well, so I'm glad that you guys got the memo. The best thing that you guys can do for us to help us and show the All-Star that we are damn good at what we do you should guys hit that like and hit that subscribe. I've seen that that subscribe number fly through the roof since the news dropped. So I appreciate everybody that's already done it. If you haven't already, please do. And then go enjoy their other content as well. Shout out to John Hyun Ko, who does some great fighter interviews on the channel as well. Not to mention our guy, Adam Martin, fellow GTA uh, guy, Adam Martin here, uh, doing some content for the All-Star as well. So make sure you guys check that all out. We appreciate all the support. If it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't have been able to make it to this platform. All right, Cody. Heavyweight title fight on the line. Before we even get into the breakdown here, for me, the last heavyweight title fight that I was truly excited for, like to this extent, has got to be Cain Velasquez versus Junior Dos Santos too. That was the one that I was most excited about. What is the last heavyweight title fight that you can say you were ridiculously excited for Brock Lesnar Shane Carwin because it doesn't get any bigger than either of those guys they're not they're not shaped like your traditional heavyweights they're shaped like linebackers but uh yeah I don't know maybe like I'm just like more of an old school and I think about that stuff but yeah Brock had the persona and he had some credentials and Shane Carwin was supposed to be a, an absolute wrecking machine Josh Rosenthal was one of the best calls ever letting it go because Brock's taking a beating, man. And uh, Brock comes back. As soon as Shane Carwin loses the fight to lactic acid, Brock Lesnar <laughs> takes on over. So, yeah, that one had me mad excited. Since then, yeah, I don't know. Just the, the heavyweight crown is usually one person who's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, I wouldn't say boring. They're heavyweights. And this is this is as good as it gets. But with Stipe, like, why wasn't he a bigger star? The guy's a heavyweight. And he's yeah. like the longest, most um, heavyweight title defenses. And just no one got behind him. Cormier wins it, and they're booking Cormier, Derek Lewis, like it is yeah. a fight that doesn't make any sense. I just it's kind of lost that luster to me. Francis, best guy, power puncher, unbelievable, but he's taking on a guy that could could make this a stinker. Like Cyril gone as good as he is, and I'm gonna big him. Uh, he, he's not he's not the most fan friendly guy going. That's what happens when you're super skillful, right? Sometimes you're a little bit boring. He's a little for heavyweight standards. Staying on the outside, kicking, moving, using the jab. Like, they don't like that. They like Derek Lewis. They like Francis Ngannou. Ironic part is you put them both in the same cage together and it's a shit fight. So <laughs> what do I know, right? Yeah, no. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there, there's somebody that put out a, a stat or something that said, or a fact, I should say, uh, that this is like the first heavyweight title fight to take place that doesn't include Stipe or DC in like four or five years. And this is the first time that it's ever happened. So oh uh, shout out to Francis Ngannou. This is the heavyweight champion the UFC has been waiting for. A guy that can just put people to sleep with one touch. And that's exactly what he's been doing on his way to uh, the title. Obviously, he fell short in his debut or, or his first title shot against Stipe Miocic and then follows that up with that uh, aforementioned stinker against Derek Lewis. But since then, he's going back to collecting scalps and getting that title uh, obviously defeating Stipe Miocic last time around. And now here he is against probably his toughest test to date in Cyril Gan. So in terms of odds, right now we got minus 145 on Cyril Gan and plus 125 the return on Francis Ngannou. This was hanging around to pick him for the, ever since the odds came out, it was pretty much a pick him the entire time. And now as fight week has approached, 
The money is coming out on Cyril Gan, but I feel as though that money is going to start coming back in on Francis Ngannou the closer we get to the fight as people who you know aren't as much into the MMA betting side of us uh, as we are. They'll start to get their money and they're like, oh yeah, I'm picking the guy that deads people with one shot. But you know, Francis has started to evolve his game a little bit more, right? He, you see him jabbing now, a double jab overhand rather than just throwing the overhand blindly or just crashing forward like he did against Jairzinho Rosenstrike and just hoping one of those shots land and not even respecting any of the power coming back his way from Rosenstrike. He took a couple on the chin and it didn't bother him. He just waned forward and he landed that big shot that put uh, Rosenstrike down. But in the Stipe Miocic fight, he stuffs the takedown. And I feel like people are kind of over-exaggerating that a little bit too much. Like, oh my God, he's tough to take down. He's the greatest heavyweight ever now. Like, it's it was one takedown attempt from Stipe Miocic early in the fight, right? I feel as though Francis is still one of those guys that will need that victory in the first two rounds. Because if a round three comes in this fight, especially against a guy like Zero Gun, it's going to be very difficult for him to set up that knockout blow. And it's going to be very difficult for him to even track a guy like Zero Gun. Luckily for Cyril, again, we got the big cage here. We got a 30-footer, so we can see him use all of that real estate to his advantage in this fight. And I exactly, I think that's what's going to transpire this weekend. I think we see Cyril kind of touch him up from the outside, maybe use his kicks to kind of stay away from the big power or at least be ready enough to get away from any of those big shots coming from Francis. And as this fight starts to wear on, I think he starts to take over even more. And I actually think he gets the finish in this spot. I do think he'll likely go for a takedown later in this fight and try to ground Francis to nullify the potential Hail Mary knockout shot from Francis. And then from there, I think he dominates him on the ground, man. I think he eventually snatches up a sub and takes it on home with him. So a couple of things that I bet on. Obviously, I got a bet on Ciro gone around minus 115. I thought that was a no-brainer in this spot. And then uh, taking the round props. I took round four at plus 1700. I took round five at plus 25. And I'm I'm considering the submission prop, but I already feel like I'm already so exposed on Cyril Gone here. But uh Gone by submission is currently sitting at uh plus 900, which I don't think is too bad of a spot. But uh it takes one shot from Francis. That's why I'm not excuse me. That's why I'm not putting my life savings on Cyril Gone in this spot because that one shot could absolutely ruin your night. And I'm not counting that out. But if we put that aside, I think Sirogan is the much better fighter. His movement, he is the most disciplined heavyweight and most technical heavyweight we have ever seen in the heavyweight division. And I think that this guy rules that division for years to come if he gets past Francis Ngannou. And I can say the same thing for Francis. If Francis wins this fight, I think he continues his reign as well. One thing I'll say about this, and I don't think it has too much of a factor in regards to this matchup. Uh, Francis Ngannou, 35 years old. I'm not sure why I thought he was younger. 31 years old for Sirogan as well. But me and you both know, Cody, uh, the heavyweight division is prime for those spots, right? It's okay if you're pushing 40, you could still possibly be the champion. Obviously, we saw uh, DC do that. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Stipe is up there in age as well. But that, that is just something that I feel like people should know. It's not going to have a a difference or make a difference in this fight, but that is there as well. Pick a Sirogan, Sirogan late. I cashed on it in uh, Derek Lewis. I feel like people are just reading into that. He's just a decision <clears throat> fighter just because he fought Alexander Volkov and Jerzyny Rosen striking 125 minutes. For me, it's all stylistically based. We know Derek Lewis slows down. I feel like Francis slows down as well as we saw in the first Stipe fight. If that was Cyril Gaon in the cage with him that night, he finishes him. And I think he finishes him this time as well. So Cyril Gaon, Cyril Gaon inside the distance. Cyril Gaon sub plus 900. Round props run four and five. I'm all over it. Cody, lay it on me.
Yeah, yeah, I like it. I'm going with Cyril Gaon as well. I think that, you know, speed, precision beats power. I know it's Conor McGregor's line, right? Speed beats power, precision. Like, I get it. I get it. I like it as well. Thing is, is that when you bet this sport in particular, you're always going to have to talk about the puncher's chance. It always exists, right? If a Matt Frivola could get caught because he's got a weak chin and maybe Valdez's life is that puncher's chance. If a Charles Jordan was perhaps going to win, it would be because maybe that flying knee's a, it's a puncher's chance. Francis Ngannou embodies the most punches chance. He's got more power than anybody I've ever seen. I've been watching this sport for a very long time. I couldn't name you a heavyweight with power like this. He hits way harder than, than Junior DeSantos ever did. He uh, hits harder than Alistair Overeem did. Overeem not known for his hands. He had devastating knees of the body, good kicks, right? But as far as like pure punching power, Francis Ngannou is the ultimate. So yeah, at any point, if he clips... Um, Cyril Gaon could be a problem, but yeah, I got to go with the technique. I think Cyril Gaon does an excellent job of staying to the outside and just biding his time. The Alexander Volkov fight was brilliant just because he didn't rush anything. Volkov's almost seven feet tall. He's like five, yeah. seven feet tall, but you know what I'm saying? He's a guy six foot seven, six foot eight. Like he's a big, tall guy with a big, long range, 80 inch reach. How do you approach the situation? How do you fight a guy like that? And he just like methodically picks him apart from the outside. The Derek Lewis same thing this guy has a ton of power so how do you approach the situation you stay to the outside and you pick him apart but why didn't he take down lewis right that's an easy path to victory you have a wrestling advantage over him you have a grappling advantage him. pursue the submission like you're talking about in order to take somebody down you got to get close to them and i think in getting close to them you're allowing them to use some of that power that's the reason i don't necessarily think he takes down francis i think he just stays at the outside and uses his superior volume to just pick apart at him um this does have the makings of an over two, over over three, and over four, a fight that goes the decision. I'm taking Francis, or I'm taking a Cyril Gaon. I think he probably wins by decision. But I mean, the prospect of betting against Francis Ngannou for 25 minutes, where you know it only takes one. Yeah, listen, it's a bit of a risky proposition. If you're chasing Ngannou, I don't blame you in the slightest bit. If you're chasing Ngannou, I would think that you would go with the Ngannou by knockout prop, just because, again, better price tag, and it is the likely path to victory. But I, I just feel like Ngannou uh, is not necessarily at the top of this game. Guy's ultra-talented, but not the top of this game. So why is it that he's 35 years old, but that doesn't come to your mind? Well, you know what? He's actually been fighting in the UFC for six years, low-key. Debuted, he was 28 years old, 29 years old, six years in the division. You're now 35. But it's, it's him. He's his own worst enemy. So he knocks out Junior DeSantos. The fight's a minute and 11. His wins prior to that are 26 seconds and 45 seconds. He's not accruing any ring time, okay? But you knock out Junior Santos. He sits one full year out before knocking out Rosenstruck in 20 seconds. And then he proceeds to sit out 10 months before knocking out Stipe in the second round. Now he's coming in 10 months. Holy shit, man. Like, your fights don't last more than a couple minutes, right? Most of them don't make it to the minute mark. At least the Stipe fight made it 52 seconds into the second round. Like... I just, how do you shore up your game? How do you shore up your cardio? How do you get that, that ring experience fighting once a year? Now he's 35. Now the UFC says, hey, uh, we want you to rematch Derek Lewis. Easy money fight. You guys fought once before. It was a, it was a shit fight, but people want to see it again. And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Uh, $3 million. What the fuck are you talking about $3 million? No, just fight Derek Lewis. No, no, no. Well, would you fight John Jones? He's coming up from 205. He says he wants to fight. Uh, yeah, yeah. $10 million. Like, Holy shit, this guy doesn't want to fight. Or or maybe he wants to fight, but he's looking to get paid. I can't fault a guy for wanting to get paid, but that's why the UFC hasn't been able to do business with him. He's just not accepting fights. So now, prior to this fight, he's saying, well, 
if I resign, there's going to have to be a boxing clause. I want to fight Tyson Fury. This, to me, is stupid shit talk. This is what it is. You're talking stupid. You're going to fight Tyson Fury? That's the actual plan? Does anybody think that's a good idea? Because I'll tell you right now, it's not. I'll tell you right now, Francis Ngannou doesn't beat the top 10 heavyweight in the world in boxing. He's not a good boxer. His technique is fucking shit, but he wears four-ounce gloves and swings bombs against guys who have a human being head on them. If it hits, they're going to go down. 35, wants to box, wants to see his other options, wants to fight once a year, and Fernand Lopez straight up living in this guy's head rent-free. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to... Every day, every day is getting frustrating. I just want the fight to be over, okay? Wake up, go through my news feed, and it'll be like, oh, Francis is good guy. Or, or sorry, Cyril Gone, he's a good guy. Then the next day, it'll be like, we never sparred. Then the next day, we sparred six times. Then the next day, it was just light sparring. Nobody got an advantage. Then the next day, I KO'd him with a head kick. Like, holy fuck, man. Every day, every day, it's a different quote. Like, he's, he's, he's not. Fernand did an excellent job of shit talking his way into Francis's head. Francis is not going to come in focused on the prize. He's going to come in uh, focused on try to rip this guy's head off. It'll backfire. So I got to go with Cyril Gunn. I got to go with Cyril Gunn. Uh, I got a shoey bet with Paul Shaughnessy. If you would like to go shoey bet on Moreno Figueredo, I could be I open to that as well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got to think Cyril Gunn gets the job done. I will, however, leave you with this. Last week, I've got two tickets in play. We got a plus 330, and uh, uh, that's good. Uh, I mean, Caitlin Chikagan came through. She did what she had to do. Brandon Royval did, uh, did what he had to do. And then we had Brian Kelleher, took care of business. I can easily hedge out. I can easily hedge out here. I got Giga Chikots on that top. I've set this ticket up to hedge. And I'm feeling ballsy. I go with it. If I'm in a hedge out situation <laughs> this week against Francis Ngannou, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. Because yeah. I understand this guy hits hard. However, Pre-fight pick is Cyril gone. Straight up, I do like Cyril gone. It's just, this is a crazy sport sometimes. And if you land, then you're going to do some damage. But uh, I think, again, the superior skill set should win the day. And that belongs to God. Uh, good hedging spots if you guys have available. And Ganu round one plus 400. And Ganu round two plus 650. Uh, or even his KO prop, if you think he can get it done later than that, is sitting at plus 165. So if anybody's heavy on the Saragon spot, you have some pretty good spots to uh, possibly hedge if you are feeling or getting cold feet come uh, fight time. And in regards to the Moreno and Figueredo shoey bet, uh, I saw I saw that comment. I know you saw that comment as well, <laughs> which is why you brought it up. I'd be down for a bet, but I am not a shoey guy i will mm. not drink out of a mm. shoe i am not that guy i saw the other uh, the other um suggestion he had was shoe bong i'm like i don't even know how you could do that <laughs> i'm not creating a well, shoe bong out of any of my i shoes. would i would gladly offer you a beard versus beard but i don't think you're that <laughs> faithful in figurado whereas i think brandon moreno is going to win <laughs> i will shave this motherfucking beard <laughs> this beard stays cody this yeah, beard no, stays no, you'll know, never see me with a clean shape fair enough but, yeah, I, I will see if I can come up with something or between now and fight time, and maybe we can, uh, you know, pay off the punishment on our next episode. But uh, I'll think about it. I'm quite confident on Figgy, but we'll we'll think about a a punishment we can do on the next episode. So shout out to anybody that actually um, 
uh, suggested that. All right, uh, let's get to the last segment of the show here. It is the three best prop bets that we got for you guys. Uh, got that nice, shiny All-Star logo up in the right corner as well. And obviously, for those of you that know, don't know, that other face there is my guy, John Stargarian. We are still doing the Fight Night episodes on my channel, obviously, MMA LOTN. Make sure you guys check that out. Those Fight Night episodes is me and John. Me and Cody will be sticking with the pay-per-view episodes right here on the All-Star. All right, let's get in to our three best prop bets. You guys know me. I know both of these guys took a little bit more of a safer approach with their props as they usually do. I'm <laughs> yeah. slinging guns. I'm slinging guns out here. We're going for some long shots, so hopefully at least one of these hit. First and foremost, Suragon, round four, round five, plus 1,800, plus 2,500, sprinkling those. I already got 50 bucks on it myself on each of those. Next up, uh, Jack Madalena via submission, plus 600. I actually think that's a very good value spot considering uh, the, the advantages I believe he has in the grappling and the wrestling game. I think if he gets this fight to the ground, that submission should not be too far after that. So plus 600 on that, give me that. And lastly, uh, Figueredo by decision. There it is, Cody. Figueredo mm. by decision. Plus 450. I like that mm. spot. Everything Cody said about uh, uh, Moreno's uh, durability and, uh, you know, inability to go unconscious. Uh, I absolutely believe in that. I'm just hoping that Figueredo is able to find that second and third gear, just like he did in that first fight, to be able to take the fifth round, to be able to win the first two rounds. And I think that's what's going to come into play here. So uh, those are the three props that I like. Uh, let me just quickly go over John's, and then we'll get to Cody's as well. First and foremost, John likes him some. Francis Ngannou inside the distance at plus 150. So he is uh, on an island here out of the three of us taking Ngannou in this spot. Secondly, he likes Cody Stamen via decision at plus 250. Glad that all three of us are on that spot as well. Uh, not to mention his money line is not too bad either. So uh, you can take either or, but plus 250 on decision is a damn good spot. Lastly, he likes Fervola inside the distance at plus 175. He thinks he goes out there and steamrolls Ganero Valdez, and I absolutely agree with him as well. And that's the line that you get in there. All right, Cody, you're up, my brother. Hell yeah. So we're going to go with Surreal Gun by decision, plus 260. Again, I mean, that's pretty good value to me. I don't think that's playing it safe, but it ain't no plus 1800 like you got. But listen, <laughs> five rounds is a long time. But with Gone, he doesn't, he takes his time. He, he takes his time. He's in the big octagon that's going to give him lots of room to work with on the outside. And again, he has sparred this guy, not enough to know everything about him, but enough to know. <laughs> I don't want to get hit by this guy. Play it safe. Play it cool. Win the five-round decision. Plus 260. I like it. Moving on. Just over, oh, yeah, prayer by KO. Eh, TKO, KO, it's all the same thing on the ticket, but plus 190. Again, I think that he's a guy, his last two fights have been decisions. He is an exciting guy. He is an entertainer. He knows this. He knows he wants to chase those big finishes and the bonuses. That is who he is. He just needs the right dance partner. He's getting someone here in Fiala that's a fellow striker who has weak cardio, taking the fight on a week's notice. Is not the most durable guy going. I mean, Chidi and Jaquani knocked him out 21 seconds. My boy Chris Curtis just ripped him apart and mauled him. I think Pereira could do much of the same. For plus 190, again, not that bad. And then we're going to go with Kay Hansen by decision, plus 105. It's the curtain jerker on the card, very first fight. <clears throat> Hopefully I uh, get that bankroll going nice and early and kind of add to it. But yeah, I just think that she's a little bit better than Jasmine all over. If the fight stays standing, she should be able to back her up and land the quicker, tighter boxing combinations. Jasmine doesn't really move her head a whole lot, never establishes a jab. As far as inside the clinch, that lower center of gravity, Kay Hansen is stronger. She'll be able to take her to the ground. I don't know if she's gotten in sick shape because she's got a fight coming up or in sick shape because she's selling a lot of OnlyFans subscriptions, but she's in sick shape right now. And I think she will be stronger. If the fight does hit the ground, I think she's also a little bit cleaner with her jiu-jitsu and uh, doesn't get the submission, but is able to at least win some points, win some rounds. 
en route to a decision at plus 105. So uh, very rarely I go plus money in all three of them. I like to take that greasy 100% this thing's going to decision at minus 180. But this is a fun card. I think there's some good spots, and I do think all three of these hit. There we go. You guys got the three best prop bets there. Uh, Cody, man, it was awesome to get back into the saddle here with you. I love talking these pay-per-view cards with you as well. I feel like we just have great chemistry that obviously the viewers really enjoy. And obviously anybody new to this show as well, uh, you know, debuting on the All-Star, uh, I think they enjoyed it as well. So I'll hand it on over to you one last time to plug anything that you want to plug. And then I'll sign us off and drop the last plugs that we need to. Hell yeah, dude. It's been a month, so it's great to catch up and do the show again. I felt a little bit rusty, I suppose. But yeah, the chemistry's over there. We could talk fights for five hours need be. And yeah, I'd like to, it's one of my New Year's resolutions, do some more content this year. I know we started out, we're doing all the events, then we switched it to just pay-per-views. I know you and Clint got more of a newsworthy show coming up, but yeah, all the content's good. I just love talking fights. I love getting other opinions, four-person shows, six-person shows, hearing different takes, love all that. As always, shout out to the fans that took their time to uh, join the show live. This doesn't really have a set time. Uh, Mampy kind of throws it up. Um, so the fact that you were able to devote time out of your day to come over and support us, you hit the like button, you hit the subscribe. You've uh, you've been great. You know, nothing but respect for everybody that uh, supports the show. So much, much thank you. And the only way I can really repay you is by going three for three on these props, <laughs> hopefully killing some parlays, and hopefully I'm the only guy with a beard the next time the show comes on. <laughs> <laughs> because Figueredo done and shit in the apple pie, my old friend Locke. But uh, if two or three of those things come true, I'd be happy with that as well. I love it. I love it. Hopefully I will be bearded by the next time we come around because <laughs> something must have gone very wrong. If so, uh, I do want to quickly shout out John as well, the other co-host I do the fight nights with. He actually went 3-0 and on his props last time around. He had Borshev under 2.5, McGee via decision, and Pickett via decision. I unfortunately went 1-2 and with Chuk via decision and then lost my other two as well. Uh, but yeah, Hopefully we can go 3-0 this time around, both of us, and we can uh, end up with some fat stacks come the next time we actually do this. Um, all right. On behalf of myself and Cody and the All-Star team, once again, shout out to the All-Star. Make sure you guys like and subscribe. Show them that we are worthy of being on this platform. And that's the easiest and best way you guys can do it. Just a simple click. Subscribe, like, that's it. And then we'll see you guys next time for it as well. So appreciate you guys. Enjoy the fights this weekend. And uh, we'll see you next time on the All-Star for UFC 271 in February. The next fight night one will be on my channel at MMALOTN. All right. On behalf of myself and Cody, we appreciate you guys checking it out. Good luck on the fights this weekend. War, Davison, Figueredo. I'm going to end <laughs> this before Cody can even say anything. Love you guys. <laughs>